The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. It is Wednesday, October 9th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we're talking the FBI files with the Sun-Times own Robert Hergeth, also from the Chicago Sun-Times, it's Carlos Ballesteros. And making his long-awaited return, director of the Black Harvest Film Festival, the one, the only, Sergio Mims. And now your host, the one, the only, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Dapper Dennis Wednesday. No, not really, but he is looking dapper. Folks, check him out. Good. Is that John Travolta over there? Okay, John Travolta has hair. I'm bald. Hi. Uh, Is that Denzel Washington over there? He's a black man. I'm a white man. (laughs) Man, you are looking so good. Anyway, uh, uh, we are actually calling this Gotta Give the Guy Credit Wednesday, and here's why. Uh, Yesterday, President Donnie Trump made it clear he's not going to uh, cooperate in any which way with the congressional investigators into the scandal known as Whistleblower Gate. He won't, he won't recognize congressional subpoenas. He won't allow aides to testify, won't turn over documents, just not going to cooperate in any way. He's going to keep it all to himself in a wild, weird sort of way. You got to give the dude credit. I mean, if you are going to raise your middle fingers to the laws and the law enforcement officers of this country, don't beat around the bush. Raise them high. Wait, keep you, my. Are you giving Donald Trump credit? Yes. I'll I'm giving pack Donald the Trump. bags. It's the last day here. The uh, I'm giving Donald Trump credit. You know, if you're just going to say, beep you to all the laws and all the people who enforce the laws, then go ahead. Do it. All right. If it was a TV show, he'd be like surrounded by police and he'd be going, you're going to have to take me out alive. What would that TV show be titled? Uh, that would be called Dr. D looks dapper today. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. Uh, you'd be wearing a tie. And it could be Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke yeah, is what it would be. Gunsmoke. The FBI. The Fugitive. How about that? I can do my uh, Mannix. How about Mannix? Does anybody remember Mannix? Anyway. Hang tight, millennials. All right. Um, all right, folks. Uh, let's just uh, go back in time to remind you this all began. Uh, with a complaint from an unknown whistleblower, uh, said uh, that Donald Trump was effectively shaking down the president of Ukraine. Uh, and uh, as Trump was asking uh, the Ukrainian president to dig up dirt on Joe Biden, Donald Trump's chief rival, apparently, in, at least in Donald Trump's mind, on the upcoming presidential election. And in exchange for digging up dirt on Biden, Donald Trump would release the $300 million or so uh, dollars in military aid that Congress had already approved for Ukraine. Mm. Mm. All right. Trump has uh, essentially admitted that's what he did. He released an account, not a, a word-for-word transcript, but an account of a phone conversation he had with the Ukrainian president. It went like this. I will not imitate Donald Trump. I'm not Dennis or Pat Whalen, who does a very good Donald Trump imitation. I must say, um, Donald Trump, uh, we've done many good things for you. 
Now I want you to do something for me. Dig up dirt on Joey B. That's essentially what he said. And it sure sounds like a shakedown to me. Not everybody agrees. The Chicago Tribune Tribune says, well, we're not quite sure uh, if it's a shakedown or not. Uh, It could be, maybe, who knows? Oh, well, Uh, we'll think about other things like castigating the teachers for daring to go on strike. Anyway, but sure sounds like a shakedown to me. And the the Democratic congressmen, the congressional leaders have uh, launched an uh, impeachment inquiry. And as a result, they want Donald Trump to turn over uh, evidence. They want to turn over uh, various documents. They want him to uh, they want to force some of his aides to testify. And Donald Trump said, nope, not going to do it. This is just your ungodly attempt, unholy attempt to try to undo the election of 2016. And I am not cooperating in any way. Now, what do the Democrats do? How do they respond? What do the public make of it? Do the Democrats just bend to the will of the more powerful man and say, oh, well, that's how it goes. Can't make them do it and just walk away from the investigation? That's kind of what they were doing with the Mueller report, D, if you recall. Until Whistleblower Gate uh, emerged, all the talk of impeachment it was fading away. Nancy Pelosi was letting it die down. People were just sort of going back to their business, thinking in terms of just uh, defeating Donald Trump in November 2016. That's as, correct. As though the whole thing didn't matter. Are going to do it again? I don't know how they could back down, but it sure looks as though it's going to be very difficult to get Donald Trump to comply in any way. I don't know how you have an investigation if you have nothing to investigate. Uh, Most likely there will be court challenges and this will go all the way to the Supreme Court. My bet is that every single judge leading up to the Supreme Court will side with Congress and say that the president does not have the right to stonewall and ignore subpoenas from Congress. But once you get to the Supremes, it's a different story. Donald Trump appointed two of those justices, if you recall. And uh, my bet is they're very loyal to one Donald Trump. So I could see the Supreme Court finding some reason to side with Donald Trump and essentially uh, applaud his assertion, his right to give two middle fingers high, uh, raise them high in the air to Congress. And ultimately, then the decision will come down to the American voters in the 2020 election. Just want to remind you folks, this is the same group of people who got us into this mess in the first place. Here's hoping this time they get it right. We got a great show today, everybody. Uh, Robert Hergeth will be here from the Chicago Sun-Times talking about corruption on the southwest side. Oh, and if you want to hear Ben Jarofsky geek out, keep it here for that interview with Hergeth. My oh, goodness, yeah, the he FBI loves files. talking FBI files. Uh, Sergio Mims is here already. God bless Sergio Mims, the co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival. We'll be talking politics. We'll be talking movies. Uh, Monroe Anderson is not here today. He's on vacation in Hollywood. He went to LA. I'm not making this up. Yes, he did. Without he went, our permission. Without our permission and without really telling me. Mm-hmm, Monroe. Anyway, Sergio <laughs> Mims is more than capable of talking Trump, Trump, Trump and Trump. So get ready for some Trump talk with Sergio Mims. Uh, and then Carlos Ballesteros will be here uh, at the end of the show. Chicago Sun-Times reporter will be talking politics with him. So politics of all kinds, national, local, and state. But before we do any of that, the young man from Alton, Illinois, and I think Sergio will agree with me, he is looking very dapper today. I thought it was John Travolta in the studio, but apparently <laughs> it's it's a young John Travolta from like, uh, you know, Welcome Back Cotter days. That's uh, what I thought with that <laughs> that great tie. The young man. I found this for $2 at the thrift shop. 
damn, that's a good deal. I know. I could get over to the thrift shop. I'm going to start, I'm going to put a uh, dress code on the Ben Jarofsky show. From here on out, everybody has has to wear ties because you're looking really good. All right, Sergio, where's your tie? Get a tie, Sergio. All right, anyway, uh, without further ado, Dr. D with the news. All right, I'll be expecting you to wear a tie tomorrow as well, Ben, right? (laughs) Uh, Very unlikely. Oh, okay. (laughs) Just set the rules. Uh, Rules for these, not for me, says Ben Jarofsky. And Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's unpack the news happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. No Wednesday public events scheduled for our Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker. So, Ben, it's like 1.12 in the afternoon on Wednesday. Pretty nice day out. What do you think the governor's doing right now? <sighs> what is the governor doing? Well, is his leg okay? His leg seems to be doing fine. So he doesn't have to rest his leg? No, no. He's up and at it. Uh, so, uh, he is probably listening to the show. Okay. That's what he's doing. Because you, you need both legs to Sergio do that. Mims, so he's listening to the show, getting ready to hear about Dolomite. I like how you asked if his if his leg was okay. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, well, he's listening to the show. You need yeah, both legs to listen to the Bendorovsky <laughs> show, apparently. That's what he's doing. He's listening to the show. Okay, nothing else, huh? All right, no Wednesday public events. Also for Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. What do you think Lori Lightfoot's doing right now? Right now, she's definitely listening. She's listening to yesterday's Stacey Davis Gates interview. She's finally catching up on yesterday. She's not happy with that interview. You see that little steam coming out of her ears? She is not happy with that Stacey Davis Gates interview. These Chicago teachers, why don't they just shut up and go away? Well, now there may be steam coming out of her ears, especially if she's listening at this moment. That's what she's thinking. We do have more updates on the potential Chicago teacher strike. But first, another alderman in the hot seat? Oh, boy. It's another episode of everyone's favorite non-existent Chicago political soap opera. It's the latest struggle between... A mayor <laughs> and her alderman. Yeah. alderman. Yeah. And you know, I said the hot seat. And when you hear the story, that pun was not intended, okay? But I did say the hot seat. And when you have an alderman in your city council currently being indicted for such acts as shaking down a Burger King, hot seat may be a bit of an overstatement because this is nowhere near as uh, bad as shaking down a Burger King. We're headed to the 49th ward for today's episode. Ben, pop quiz. Who's the 49th ward alderman? Come on, Maria Haddon. Oh, man. Who was before Maria Haddon? Ice Cube. <laughs> Jolton. <laughs> it's my guess for everything. Joe Moore. And who was before Joe Moore? Uh, Dr. Dre. Oh, how did you know? I'm telling there you. There was that phase of his life where he just decided, you know what? I want to be the alderman of the 49th Ward. So he came to Chicago. And in between making rap records and producing Eminem, didn't know I knew oh, that, did you? Oh, my goodness. Huh? Yeah, I'm huh? telling you, you can get a lot of things past me. But <laughs> this guy, Ben? Oh, no. All nothing right, gets past let me Ben Jarofsky. Uh, wait, hold on. I got a trivia question for you. All right, lay it on right, here me. Here we go. For 10 trivia points. I look smarter, maybe. Maybe I'll be smarter with my tie. Who is Tyler Blevins? Tyler Blevins? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> that is not the correct answer. I, I just, I'm a little astounded that you don't know this. I don't know who Tyler Blevins is. Uh, he is, uh, goes by the name Ninja. Ever heard of him? <laughs> no. I, uh, this guy is a gamer. I didn't even know this existed. I'm a little embarrassed to oh, admit. Oh, okay. So uh, you, Gilmore Girls was last week. This yeah. week it's games. G- gaming. And and this is a guy who has, are you ready for this? 14.7 million followers on Instagram. 14.7. How many? How many do we have? Uh, we cracked a thousand. Uh, oh, okay. that's actually not bad. That's actually not bad, dude. I think you're gonna say like fifty. Fourteen point seven million Americans, or I don't know if it's Americans. Fourteen point seven million 
followers on Instagram, a gamer. Do you even know what a gamer is? Yeah, someone who plays games and gets paid for it. Yeah. Wow. And last week we were interviewing Monroe's son, Kyle, who's about to uh, come out with his game. I can see why he's doing it. 14.7 million followers. Anyway. I just discovered Tyler Blevins, and uh, you know I don't feel so bad. You, a millennial, have never heard of him before. Yeah, you're really coming a long way, especially <laughs> last week when uh, you learned uh, Mario's uh, brother's name. Bobby? No. <laughs> what was Billy? It's Luigi. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry about that. Luigi. Anyway, Gilmore Girls. Ask Sergio what he thinks of Gilmore Girls. Yeah, please do. We got to know about that. All right. Marie, Maria Haddon. All right. Can't get anything past Ben Jarofsky. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran and the Woe Man Spielman. Alderwoman Maria Haddon of the 49th Ward is apologizing to the Chicago Firefighters Union Local 2 for her chief of staff's insensitive Twitter takedown of Alderman Jim Gardner of the 45th Ward that ended up infer- uh, infuriating rank and file firefighters. The squabble between freshman aldermen began when Haddon's chief of staff, Leslie Perkins, tweeted a newspaper story about Mayor Lori Lightfoot putting Alderman Gardner in his place. Now for a little context. If you recall, a couple of weeks back, Mayor Lightfoot pretty much handed Gardner his lunch when she defended her decision to hire the guy Gardner beat, former 45th Ward Alderman John Arena, with a $129,996 a year job in the Department of Planning and Development. Yeah, I guess Jim Gardner was under the impression that after defeating someone in an election, uh, the other person doesn't get to continue with life at all. They just sit at home unemployed sulking about it forever. What? He can't continue on and prosper? So Gardner was a little salty after that. And as for Leslie Perkins, well, Perkins uh, served as 45th Ward Alderman, former 45th Ward Alderman John Arena's chief of staff before making the switch to Maria Haddon. Oh, and also Jim Gardner former Chicago firefighter and EMT. All right, now to the tweet from Perkins regarding Lightfoot uh, handing Gardner his lunch here. Perkins wrote, quote, everyone that shares this gets to hear the same joke. I wonder how a firefighter feels about getting burned so badly, implying burned when Lightfoot said that to Gardner, burned so badly. There you go. So the Chicago fire, uh, fire fired community was upset by the tweet and labeled it insensitive. <laughs> now some of you may be thinking, eh, come on, that wasn't so bad. But enter Reverend Thomas Mulcrone to maybe change your mind on that. All right, Mulcrone was so incensed by the tweet that he fired off a letter to Haddon warning that her, quote, standing with members of the CFD and, dare I say, first responders will be non-existent if she does not address this matter with serious consequences for Perkins. Here's the quote. Have you any idea of the pain and suffering the firefighters go through when they are burned? Do you know that the scars, both physical and emotional, remain with them for the rest of their lives? On Tuesday, Haddon acknowledged Perkins' joke was offensive to firefighters and never should have been tweeted by your chief of staff. Here's the quote from Maria Haddon on her staff member Perkins. Quote, She's sorry. It was a stupid comment. She wasn't really thinking. We've been in communication with uh, Local 2, making sure they understand. She's making a written statement of apology. No words from Mayor Lightfoot on the incident. So it looks as though, as the moment, she will serve no detention time (laughs) and will keep her position. But when it comes to the city of Chicago, you never know. Because after all, this is the daily ongoing battle between... Jarofsky, your thoughts? Well, it was pretty offensive tweet, you know, uh, and it, it, you know, it's interesting. 
I don't know why aides to aldermen tweet stuff out anymore, you know, because it's just going to cause more attention for their boss. Once you go to work for an alderman, it's sort of like you got to be quiet and, uh, you know, just go into the background because the alderman or the alderwoman in this case is the boss and he or she will bear the brunt of anything you do. Uh, and they, you, they'll be accountable for anything you say, uh, even if they had nothing to do with it. So uh, I do think it was an uh, insensitive remark. Uh, that said, I'm not sure the firefighters were as offended as they say they were offended. I think there was just an opportunity to get some good digs in uh, between uh, g- getting back at uh, John Arena. Uh, this was a former aide to John Arena. And of course, this fight goes back to uh, 45th Ward, aldermanic uh, battles that go on. So, you know, uh, listen, in general, you know my rule, D? Anybody under the age, what was it? 50? 50, yeah. Uh, anybody under the age of 50 should not be allowed to tweet. Still holding on to that yeah, rule, I'm still huh? holding on to that rule. But my guess is is that uh, Maria Haddon's aide is under the age of 50, so she's uh, allowed to tweet. But, you know, we talked about this yesterday. The really, the notion of free speech, D, does, it's like there's always accountability for what you say. Someone's going to get irritated at you. They're going to strike back at you. It's going to get a person in a position of power mad or put them in a, a delicate situation. Uh, and we're seeing this happen with the National Basketball Association in China, where the general manager of the Houston Rockets tweeted out support for the Hong Kong protesters. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And China's now you know not airing TV, uh, games. And there's uh, NBA games. And there's uh, talk of uh, of, uh, of banning products, and the NBA is going to pay a price financially for this. So, you know, there are consequences. Just don't have unlimited free speech rights. We, it may not seem that way when Sergio Mims comes on this show and says whatever's on his mind. Oh, uh, just the views and actions of Sergio Mims do not reflect those of the Ben Jarofsky show. We Got that out of the way We now. should make that clear <laughs> up front uh, from the get-go. And we should also say it does not uh, represent uh, that of the Black Harvest Film Festival as well. But, uh, yeah, there are consequences for just speaking out. And in my humble opinion, the joke was offensive and uh, not bright. But I think Maria hadn't handled it very well. And now we can put it behind us right Dave? water under the bridge yeah uh and uh lori lightfoot just sort of dodged that one i mean that was really a fight that's really a story of an alderman and her alderman if oh, you, you know what I mean. oh. <laughs> but yeah you know lori's like nowhere near enough. don't touch me with that one well i think with all that's happening right now between our mayor and the chicago teachers union and maybe this maria Haddon thing is way at the bottom of her list you know what i mean yeah she's got bigger fish to fry and speaking of oh wait hold on this milk thing yeah we gotta turn the buttermilk thing over Hold on. Hang tight, everybody. <laughs> this looks like we got buttermilk <laughs> Oh, yeah. Peter Jenko will be coming in the studio this Friday. He gave me that uh, that missing, yes. Missing. He, got, he was fired, and yeah. then he's missing. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. 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 And now okay. he's rehired. It's a joke <laughs> yeah. now. All right. And speaking of, we have an update on the potential Chicago Teachers Union strike opening a new front. Well, this comes Did from- Did they cut a deal? No deal uh, has been cut. Right. The big update that we're all waiting yeah, for. They yeah. cut a deal. When you, have a, when you say you have an update, I go, deal cut? <laughs> no, not, not that update. <laughs> Just uh, more side updates, I guess. This comes from CBS uh, Chicago. Opening a new front in the ongoing contract dispute between Chicago Public Schools and the Chicago Teachers Union, Mayor Lori Lightfoot complained that the union is holding up negotiations over demands on affordable housing policy. In a statement Tuesday night, Lightfoot said that the union's contract with CPS is, quote, not the appropriate place for the city to legislate its affordable housing policy. But CTU responded Wednesday morning that 17,000 students in the district are homeless. 
This is a quote here from the CTU statement on Facebook. Yet Lori Lightfoot insists on mocking us instead of discussing the housing needs of those students and their families. We have more from the CTU statement on Facebook here. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. We have nearly 17,000 homeless students in CPS, yet Lori Lightfoot insists on mocking us instead of discussing the housing needs of those students and their families. Our contract proposals demand CPS hire staff to support CPS families in danger of losing their housing and advocate for a program that financially helps our PS. RPs and new teachers purchase a home. The mayor finds them, quote, unreasonable. Yeah, well, who knows what was actually said uh, behind closed doors during those negotiations, but clearly Lori Lightfoot saw an opportunity to get a dig at the Chicago Teachers Union and play on the theme that's her favorite theme, the one that she and her, uh, her supporters have been articulating, and that theme is this. The Chicago teachers are not really interested in reaching an agreement with them. They just want to go on strike. They want to go on strike because they want to prove they're powerful, they want to get vengeance for the Tony Preckwinkle loss, uh, whatever. They want They want to uh, bask in the glory of having presidential candidates uh, come to Chicago. I've heard every single explanation along these lines to sort of trivialize and marginalize the issues that the Chicago teachers are raising. I think uh, as a communication strategy by Lori Lightfoot, it has been very effective. I'm very interested to see what Sergio Mims says about this. On the north side of Chicago, I find very few people who are sympathetic to the teachers. Now, the, on the north side of Chicago, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to uh, appreciate this. I didn't find many people sympathetic to the Chicago teachers back in 2012. So the north siders in general have a different, uh, have an attitude where they're with the mayor on this, uh, on this fight. I'm curious what Sergio has to say about what, how south siders uh, view it, if there's a difference uh, in, depending on where you live or your background, et cetera, and so forth. So I think it's a very effective communication tactic by Lori Lightfoot. And from on that standpoint, I give her credit uh, for like in, a, in a, a, a PR war. But I think it's a legitimate issue. 17,000 homeless kids in the Chicago public schools? You're asking the Chicago public school? Of all the issues that the Chicago public schools have to deal with, that's that's a pretty important, daunting issue. Just imagine if you're a teacher or a principal and you're, a child comes into your school in the middle of the school year from some completely other part of the city. You, you have to welcome that child. What if your class is already overcrowded? How are you going to deal with that? Is there a counselor on hand to try to help the kid adjust to a new environment? Like There could be gang issues that the kid has to deal with coming to it. So these are very real uh, problems that teachers and principals and counselors and nurses face. My, In my opinion, the city of Chicago does not want to address this in a meaningful way, and they just want to keep the con- focus on money. We're offering you X amount of month dollars. If, if you don't take it, you're selfish and greedy. And this is a line that you will find parroted in the Chicago Tribune on its editorial page, Sun-Times editorial page, and it's very pro- popular on the north side of Chicago. So when to finish the point, when people uh, read this story in the Sun-Times or the Tribune on the north side, they'll be like, oh, those teachers. Why are they raising this issue? I like Lori Lightfoot. I voted for Lori Lightfoot. So it's a great PR strategy, and I got to tip my hat to Lori Lightfoot. Uh, but in terms of dealing with the issues that teachers are facing and kids are facing in the public schools, not much help. 
Now, maybe it's just me. Perhaps I'm reading the wrong websites, but it seems like the media has plenty of coverage on the mayor's perspective on this ongoing battle between the Chicago Teachers Union and the mayor. So to hear the Teachers Union's perspective, well, we suggest you check out our interview yesterday with Stacey Davis-Gates, Vice President of the Chicago Teachers Union. It's available for download at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download podcasts. If you uh, haven't heard it, Ben, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about this interview? How was your talk with uh, Stacey? What did you take from it? Well, my... T- uh the the thing I I urge everybody to check it out, but what Stacey Davis Gates addressed a couple points uh, right up front was whether this the the this was a payback time. I asked her about that directly. You know, where are the teachers just trying to redo uh, the election of 2019 of April, where uh, they unsuccessfully backed Tony Preckwinkle and got and were defeated? Is this their just their attempt to redo that? Uh, is this their attempt, are they grandstanding? So we got into all those issues. And Stacey Davis Gates, uh, I thought, gave some pretty strong responses. I don't want to give too much of it away, D, because you know why? I want people to listen to that. I learned that from you, all right? You went to radio school, and you're wearing a tie. My God, <laughs> you've come a long way, sir. So, you know what, folks? <laughs> Just listen to Stacey Davis-Gates yourself. Download- and by the way, she has a few things to say about the Bears. Remember that? Oh, yeah, She yeah. ripped the oh, Bears. Oh, my God. All of you guys loved the Bears. <laughs> oh, God, the Bears are terrible. <laughs> right before week one, all you guys were, ah, oh, bear down. I love them. You know what? That's something that Stacey Davis-Gates and Lori Lightfoot both agree. Bears suck. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we can get some unity there with uh, with that simple thing. All right, and uh, for those keeping track at home, we are only eight days. We have eight days until the union strike deadline. And also for those keeping home, adding to the list of uh, Lori Lightfoot's ongoing city problems, I believe uh, we're keeping track of this here on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, we are now at problem number eight billion. <laughs> okay, that's billion with a B. So there you go. Nah, billion with a B. Which which rhymes with P, which stands for pool, right here in River City. Still doing that every time we play that clip, huh? I think Sergio Mims knows what movie that's from. <laughs> Sergio may be the only guy in this room who knows. Yeah, that's, that's right. Oh, okay. My, the lead was? Uh, Robert Preston. Come on, man. But who played Ma- uh, uh, Miriam the Librarian? Oh, this is great. My, my <laughs> Wow. My favorite part of the podcast, when Ben talks to people without microphones. Uh, that is Sergio Mims. <laughs> this is great audio, guys. Uh, Robert Hergeth is in the studio as well. We're going to take a, a deep dive on corruption on the southwest side. Man, we're going to talk about the cigar shop uh, that is in the southwest suburbs. And then after the show, Sergio and I are going to head over to that cigar sh- shop and All smoke right. some cigars. All with- right. Yeah, so big, we got a uh, cigar guy. Yeah, <laughs> This is a pretty funny story. It's not funny like... Uh, we should ignore it funny, but it is kind of funny. There you go. We got a Hergeth in studio. He's going to be coming up. We're going to be talking FBI files. Ben's going to be geeking out. My God, he loves talking about the FBI files. And, uh, hey, we were just talking about him earlier. Uh, Ben's apparently not a fan anymore, but... If you are a fan of the Chicago Bears, you need to check out the latest podcast from the Chicago Sun-Times. Add it to your listening lineup this football season. Get the inside scoop on the Chicago Bears with Hallis Intrigue. It's the latest podcast from the Chicago Sun-Times. You can tune in to hear Sun-Times sports reporters and Bears experts. They evaluate games, make predictions, provide insights, and analyze the day's big stories Stay informed this football season and listen to Hallis Intrigue at suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. That's suntimes.com forward slash H-A-L-A-S. And be sure to subscribe so that you never 
miss an episode. Check it out now at suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. Isn't that right, Robert Mueller? That's correct. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. The Ben Jarofsky Show will be right back live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for, um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And, uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you, um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Robert Hergrith in the studio with me, Chicago Sun-Times investigative reporter Sergio Mims on deck. We're going to bring him on in about 15 minutes. So there will be Trump talk. There'll be plenty of Trump talk. But uh, I saw this story by Robert Hergrith in the Sun-Times today and Mark Brown's column, and I just had to bring him in to talk about it. First of all, folks, you go, Robert Hergrith. Isn't that that uh, geeky guy who's utterly obsessed with FBI files? Yes, same Robert Hergert. He was in this studio about, what was it, a month ago, Bob? A few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. Yeah, we, we did like an hour on FBI files. Uh, I share his obsession. This guy has been collecting FBI files, filing the FOIA request to the FBI, proving to the FBI that some, in the case, like somebody born in 1850 is actually dead or whatever. Uh, sometimes this FBI is stubborn. And then you take the files and you put them uh, on the, uh, you, you download them so people can just read them on the, the Sun-Times website. Yeah, we got a database. Uh, database. Thank you for that little technical. Tr- By the way, <laughs> for 10 trivia points, do you know who Tyler Blevins is? No. Okay. <laughs> is that a speed uh, speed round? No. no. Okay. Uh, he has 14.7 million followers on Instagram. He's a gamer. Do you know what gaming is? Oh, yeah. I think I, I think I do who this well, guy is. Ben just found out about gaming at like 10.45 uh, like this Ninja morning. Ninja is Pinball his machines? nickname. His, name, his nickname is Ninja. He's from Gray's Lake. Yes. Yeah, I know who he is. How uh-huh. did you know that? Yeah, I know his real name, though. I got kids. Wow. The oh, Grace so it turns Lake. out he knows more than you about the person you <laughs> No, I knew he was from Grace Lake, too. Total Homer, man. Anybody having to do with Chicago. Yeah, I wonder area. if he has an FBI file, but you won't know until, because he's still with us. All right. Uh, really fast before we take the deep dive in the southwest suburbs and all the corruption going on out there. Uh, do you have any new, uh, any additions, new additions to the FBI file that we should know about? 
Yeah, and just quick primer again for those who aren't aware of this. It's called the FBI Files. It's on the SunTimes.com website. It's a database that uh, we've been building for a couple of years and just launched a month ago when we've got more than 100, probably 120 at this point, FBI file or FBI files on 120 different people, most of whom are deceased, uh, which is when a lot of them become public. And when Ben and I talked last, there were we've added a few since then. Uh, Fred Rohde, the uh, uh, alleged mob alderman, um, from Chicago. I've got a couple of his files, not all, but I've got some that's, uh, some files that are up there more to come. Jane Byrne, the first, uh, woman mayor of Chicago who, who died a few years back. I've got her file or at least part of it. And, uh, some guy arrested in a drug sting back in the eighties uh, with some Chicago cops. Uh, his is up there. And then, uh, most recently I've got Rudy Lozano, I've got his file. It's not real big. You know, some of these files vary from a page, you know, to, you know, thousands of pages, tens of thousands of pages. And his is real slim. It just sort of notes his, uh, his demise back in the eighties and really Lozano. I mean, you, you know, better than I, uh, you know, that he's a community activist and, uh, you know, uh, labor organizer, community organizer, and, uh, who was murdered back, uh, back in the eighties, sort of a, a sh- iconic Chicago figure. And, uh, anyway, so I have some of his paperwork that's going to go up soon. It's not up yet. Yeah, Rudy Lozano was a uh, community activist and labor leader, as you were saying, and he was uh, a Harold Washington ally on the southwest side in a Hispanic area. And uh, he was de- probably would have been elected alderman and committeeman, but he was killed. Uh, I remember when it happened, uh, Bob, it was such a shocking thing. It, was, it seemed like a gang hit. and It never it was one of those murders like Ben Lewis. I don't know if you know who Ben Lewis is. He's the alderman from the 24th Ward in 1963. And these murders, public figures murdered, cold-blooded murders, mm-hmm. never get solved. And then that just kind of leads into all the cynicism that people have uh, about our system. You know, like the, the certain hits are too powerful. People behind the hits are too powerful and important uh, to be prosecuted. And so they go on un- uh, unsolved. Are there any clues whatsoever uh, to who might have uh, killed Lozano in the file? No, I mean, wasn't somebody convicted of, though uh, of it? Wasn't somebody arrested? I, uh, there was I, a, it was like a, a gang type thing, yeah. yeah. And but th- 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 so many people have this sense that there was a political right. hit behind it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Honestly, um, I, I breezed through it. I haven't put it up yet. I'm going to comb through it later. But I just wanted to flag you that uh, yeah, we got you know a few pages at least, and you know hopefully kind of root around and see if we can get some more out of them. All right. Well, let's get to the Southwest side. Uh, I know you're, you, uh, we have, uh, you have things to do. We got to get you out of here and there's Sergio Mims sitting on deck to bring him on, but uh, it's your ultimate man cave, Southwest suburban cigar lounge, a favorite hangout for politicians tied to federal investigation. Uh, it was a pretty, uh, in, in its own Chicago way, a funny read about <laughs> these uh, politicians on the Southwest sub- suburbs hanging around the cigar shop somewhere. T- tell folks a little bit what's going on. Let's just uh, lead people we've been talking about this in the show. Marty Sandoval is probably the most public person uh, in this investigation, but uh, help people understand a little bit what's going on here. Yeah, a few things. First of all, this is a story that I did with uh, Mark Brown and John Seidel, our, you know, John Seidel being our federal courts reporter, Mark Brown being our stellar columnist, investigative reporter, and just, you know, great guy. And uh, the three of us did the story. It was in today's paper on the front page. And so it's just the latest story that we've been doing on What's going on in our political political world here in the Chicago region in terms of uh, a corruption investigation or corruption investigations, plural? I'm not really sure if all of these are interrelated, but they seem to be in some way. There are nexus points between them. And so this story that we did today was about this uh, cigar lounge, this upscale, swanky <laughs> place that I, I mean, I, I can say this because I went there to check it out. And um, 
And uh, this is a sort of a, a nexus point between a lot of the guys that are getting uh, looked at by the feds right now in the southwest suburbs and uh, southwest side. It's so it's it's in countryside and uh, sort of a near you know, Southwest or West suburb. And, uh, it's, uh, it's this big cigar place with, you know, cigars might cost you a hundred bucks. And then there's a lounge in the a VIP lounge in the basement that you have to access through uh, an elevator and a special keypad. And then you get down there and there's these like what appear to be leather backed maybe it's fake leather, maybe it's real. I don't know, but, um, really nice, like, uh, booths, like out of a, you know, out of some like, <laughs> nightclub back in the fifties and dim lighting and a, and a really nice bar and wood trim and like, you know, the back room with, for privacy, for whatever, I guess you're going to hold a meeting there or something or who knows. And, um, TVs and you can sit there and smoke your cigar. There were, one day I was there recently, guys were in the basement sort of quietly pecking away to laptops and, uh, then guy while smoking and, you know, then upstairs you can buy stuff. And, and this, so it's just, you know, it's, it's, this business and and we discovered and wrote about today that it's got this these connections to all these guys who are getting looked at right now by the feds or at least have connections to guys getting looked at by the feds including sandoval um who's um ex- i believe gotten campaign contributions um from that company from that cigar lounge but also more than that um these some of these guys like Jeff Tobolsky, the Cook County Commissioner slash McCook Mayor, whose office was raided, his village office, um, you know, two weeks ago, and who's gone like totally dark and underground since. Um, he was a regular there, chumming around with a guy who the FBI is asking um, questions about. A guy named Omar Mani, who uh, is an investor in Safe Speed, which is a red light camera contractor with the, with dozens of Illinois communities, and he also. Uh, is part of a construction or development type company that's had gotten taxpayer money to develop low-income housing in Cicero and in Summit. So sort of kind of gritty, just, you know, con- contracting kind of things. And this guy, um, you know, we've, we know that the feds have asked, um, for instance, Summit, uh, which is another little southwest suburb, their mayor, its mayor, about this guy, Monty, and some of his, um, and Safe Speed, and this company that did low income housing. And so, Monty is, um, at least was, a regular at this place where he'd entertain and socialize with uh, a number of politicians, including Tobolsky um, and uh, Chris Getty, uh, who, whose offices in Lyons uh, nearby was also, were also raided. The mayor of there, Lyons. The, Ly- the mayor of Lyons, who has a private insurance company on the side. Um, like a lot of politicians around do, and um, which was also raided. So he he was there, and then uh, Larry Dominic, the town president, you know, aka mayor of Cicero, uh, was hanging out there, and um, also spent something like, according to the campaign records, twenty eight thousand dollars over the past few years from his campaign fund uh, at um, at the cigar lounge for. Uh, at least in part, apparently cigars, but also, I don't know, event space. It just, you know, it's not real specific. Yeah, those are expensive cigars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then also John Cullerton, you know, I'm, you know, again, he's not been implicated in anything. I want to be clear that I know of, you know, but he's, he's, um, you know, there was a fundraiser, at least one fundraiser was held there by Jeff Tobolsky for John Cullerton, who would not return any of our phone calls yesterday to state talk about president, this. Uh, president of the Senate, state yeah. Senator John Cullerton, you know, whose distant cousin Tom Cullerton was, you know, has been jammed up in another leg of this 
presumably same investigation, who's also a state senator, and again, whose colleague Marty Sandoval is also, um, you know, had his home and offices raided recently. So, um, so it's 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 this interesting uh, aromatic nexus point as we describe it. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that the the cigar business has done anything wrong. We're not saying that. Um, it's it, at this point, it's kind of a curiosity because this guy who some people believe is now cooperating um, with the federal um, government, this Omar guy is, you know, was a regular there. And then all these politicians who are, um, at least some of whom are targets, apparently, of the feds are were also, you know, chumming around there. So that's the story. It's and it's it's you mentioned the humor in it. I mean, there you know, back, you know, cigar smoke filled back rooms and. <laughs> you know, is the image of Chicago politicians dating back, you know, a century. And, you know, here we are um, in the 21st century. And, you know, it's it's in this instance sort of true. Right. Although I think the ventilation there is very good. Well, no, I when you mentioned Fred Rohde, uh, he was the alderman from the first ward uh, who and he was convicted of some kind of corruption. I can't remember. It's been so long. Uh, And but the place where he would meet, there was a restaurant across from City Hall and the feds had a microphone, I think, in the sugar bowl. Uh, I think that's where they had the microphone. And so they would. So, you know, that was kind of out in the open, more or less. It was a restaurant. Anybody walked in could see Fred Rohde sitting with his compatriots talking. Uh, but now, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. It was kind of funny. It's interesting. Sergio's here. We're probably going to be talking about The Irishman, which is Martin Scorsese's movie that's about to come out about uh, corruption in the labor movement. Well, this would be like the ultimate setting of a movie about at least uh, corruption in the Southwest suburbs, the cigar lounge, you know what I'm saying? With <laughs> right. The, with the pa- All right. So we've been reading articles in the paper uh, for the last couple of weeks, uh, Robert, about uh, FBI raids on various offices, uh, agents coming out. You always have pictures of the agents carting boxes. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a clear sense exactly where they're heading with this. Uh, help, help us out a little bit. What do you think the FBI uh, in particular particular is looking for? What do you think the uh, ultimate source, the ultimate subject of these raids are? I don't know, you know, and I don't think anybody knows except for them and maybe not even them because this is ongoing. I mean, I think they know where they want to go, but I don't know if if they're going to get there and I don't know if they know they're going to get there. But what we know is that they've been asking questions. They've been you know, they've been, there's there's tea leaves to read here. And also we do know some specifics beyond that. For instance, safe speed, you know, this red light contractor um, that has, you know, deals with these different towns to basically split revenues off paid tickets, um, you know, how they get into that town and, um, you know, was the process fair and, uh, well, legal for that matter. You know, I mean, these are some among the questions that I think are being ans- asked. And to be fair to Safe Speed, I mean, they've they've said we we've done nothing wrong. We have not been contacted by the feds. We have not been subpoenaed as of a couple of days ago when I talked to the CEO. So, I mean, there's no allegation that they've you know, done anything wrong. Um, so I want to be clear, but questions are being asked. So they are definitely part of this investigation. Um, Safe Speed, the, this red light um, group, but also this Omar Mani's other company called Presidio um, is been a focal point of some questions as well. So we know that, but that's just, I mean, I think that's just one angle of this larger, you know, octopus 
Well, there's one uh, quote in today's paper. I'd love you to uh, d uh, take a deeper dive into it. Uh, it's from Mark Brown's column, Red Light Probe Put Spotlight on All Problems and, while toler and Why Tolerating Them is N.A., uh, and that N.A. being not applicable. Uh, and they're talking, you were talking to a, you're quoted in the story, uh, you're, you were talking to a top aide to a Cook County commissioner, and that top aide, Doherty, uh, told Sun-Times reporter Robert Hergeth that he receives, quote, a small percentage, unquote, from, quote, every ticket that's paid in certain communities that use sp safe speed systems. Explain what's going on there. Well, I mean, you know, Mark's column, and Mark, again, is, I mean, I think he's a premier, you know, columnist in, in the city. He's really, he, he's, he, he's hit sort of uh, the... Uh, the nail on, on this one in some ways, which is this, this, first of all, we've got the, whatever crimes may have been committed and we've got the players involved, but you have this larger backdrop here, um, highlighting and accentuating these existing problems, um, that, you know, thinking people know exist. I mean, for instance, just the, the, the structure of our very government has been a problem. Township government, you know, go out, go on the sidewalk and ask 10 people what it is and maybe one person will know. Okay. And yet, they levy taxes, right? They spend a lot. They, a lot of these people can get pensions and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, so he mentions the township government because some of the players, some of the people who are tinged by this or, uh, you know, uh, are being questioned or at least eyeballed. For instance, the a supervisor of Worth Township down in the south suburbs, you know, um, so it's, he's a township official. So it's like, it's sort of highlighting this sort of little known and, um, you know, in a lot of minds, completely unnecessary form of government that is, you know, taxing uh, us all. So that's one thing that Mark's column, I think, touched on. And then the second thing is these, you know, uh, economic or these ethics forms that that uh, government people have to fill out and, um, you know, disclose out, outside income and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, uh, on, on the surface, it's sort of like, well, disclosure and transparency, you know, that's all you need. Then you can, you can have these outside forms of income. And yet, at least for a couple of these people who are being, you know, talked to by the feds, um, they were consultants for red speed or for safe speed. Uh, and, uh, it wasn't disclosed to our knowledge, at least not every year on their forms. And maybe, it didn't have to be, we, you know, fully, but certainly there's the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. And, you know, so, and I've, we've come across, across this before with, I remember Dorothy Brown, mm -hmm. the circuit court clerk, you know, who's been under federal investigation now going on six years, I think, mm -hmm. uh, based on a story that, that, uh, that I did with Dane Placco and, and a couple other people about a, a land deal um, that, you know, she was basically handed a piece of land and, uh, you know, in, in essence, and it was never disclosed in her forms as a gift or on her other forms as a campaign contribution. Well, which is it? And it's like, you know, it seems to be it's one or the other, but that's never been really fully determined. And it was, you know, it's never been fully disclosed by her, at least initially along those lines. So it's like the, what, these forms are, you know, are sort of haphazard and you, you can fill them out. And even if you don't, you know, what, what are the repercussions? Yeah. Yeah. It's an, and is anybody paying attention? And, uh, it, I talked about this. I'm not going to put you in the hot seat. I'm going to put Sergio in the hot seat on this one. But it's interesting. I, I think I mentioned this to you. I'm watching all, uh, the FBI, uh, 
tightening the noose, if you will, around these southwest uh, side uh, and southwest suburban politicians. And uh, the, you don't know where the investigation is going to lead. And they got subpoenas and they're going into uh, their offices and they're raiding and they're carting out files. And meanwhile, the president of the United States raising two middle fingers high to congressional investigators who are coming after him uh, and saying he's not going to honor subpoenas and uh, he's uh, he's not going to uh, ask uh, allow his aides to testify. And it does seem like there's a kind of a double standard that exists uh, uh, in uh, when it comes to investigation. Some people get away with an awful lot. Uh, and uh, so I'm not going to put you on that hot seat. Robert's <laughs> like, don't ask me about it. I'm just I'm just an investigative reporter at the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, Bob, before we let you get out the door, one more time, give folks uh, the information if they want to check out those FBI files. I'm sure I'm not the only uh, person out there who would be obsessed with the stuff that's in there. Well, suntimes.com, if you go uh, to the uh, uh, sort of the uh, homepage and look at the categories and click on more and scroll down, you'll see them. You click on that and access them, and we've got a... Uh, a bunch of stories, database, and uh, it's a constantly uh, growing affair. Well, I tease this guy because he has an obsession uh, of filing, and he's filing these FOIA requests. But I really, one more time, appreciate what you're doing with it and applaud it. I had fun with it. And the uh, the one that I, I uh, wrote about, the Mike Royko file, was interesting because this is notion that there would be like these, quote, unquote, uh, I don't want to call them stool pigeons out there, but <laughs> concerned citizens who would be writing letters uh, to J. Edgar Hoover complaining about a column that Mike Royko wrote. And they go, you should be aware of what's... <laughs> Like the FBI didn't have an agent in Chicago reading the newspaper right. on a daily basis. And then uh, J. Edgar Hoover to respond. It's all in the file to the informant or not informant to the citizen. Thank you for your letter. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we share your concern, what have you, et cetera. Good stuff uh, in the FBI files. Thank you very much, Bob Hargath. Appreciate your work. Appreciate you coming here. we got Sergio Mims coming on. And we'll be right back after this. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. This is a awfully big body of water. We're looking for a needle in a haystack. And we're talking about a needle that moves constantly. He's checked the floating traps he hand curated. Right now is a combination of drumsticks, rats, and uh, smelt. Yum. Well, as far as the gator goes, that's a pretty good offering. We're hoping that the, the wind blowing the scent across the water will catch his attention. We're all speculating on, on whether he grew up in somebody's you know, bathtub or backyard or something. He's enjoying the, the five feet of water. He probably was raised in six inches. If we could find the animal, we can capture the animal. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. 
Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. And he still loves that Jeff Manuel, and who wouldn't? Fantastic pianist. By the way, no, no other show than the Ben Jarofsky show will you hear a clip of Alligator Bob and then a Jeff Manuel commercial. Just saying. You can, you can search far and wide. You won't find it, all right? Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, October 9th is moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions once again for sponsoring this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show was brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Wednesday, October 9th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, he's been waiting patiently, and he is here. It is Sergio Mims, director of the Black Harvest Film Festival, and from the Chicago Sun-Times, we welcome Carlos Ballesteros. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Sergio Mims in the studio. Before I bring him on, I'll just read this little uh, description of Sergio that is from the new city. He's honored as uh, one of the 50 important people in the city of Chicago when it comes to... Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's why his picture is in here and everything. Oh, my. Oh, page 45. I remember he told me. Uh, 44. 44. Uh, Sergio (laughs) Mims, a mainstay in the Chicago film scene for nearly four decades, describes himself... I know. When did that happen? Uh, Four decades, man. When when you're not paying it, you're about as old as I am, Sergio. Uh, Sergio, proud graduate of Kenwood High School. That's right. uh, And from back in the 70s. uh, for, For nearly four decades, describes himself, quote, simply as someone who wants people to know and appreciate films more and then maybe explore more on their own and discover a whole new world. Yes, indeed. He's been the, he was co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival and my favorite film festival in the city of Chicago. That's correct. And uh, he is also <laughs> a very opinionated. Even Robert Mueller agrees. Yeah, Robert Mueller agrees. <laughs> very opinionated young man. And 
and a good friend of Monroe Anderson, who is vacationing in California. So we're going to continue the Trump talk uh, in Monroe's absence. But before we do that, D, you got an update for me, young man? Absolutely, I do. And uh, I'm going to go to the camera here because uh, it is Sergio is on page 45. Oh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. if we want to go back a and forth. A clarification there. We want to go back and forth on this. We will. But uh, <laughs> let me show everybody, all the uh, live stream viewers, this picture of Sergio. Sergio, I like this shirt, man. Looking sharp. Yeah, he's looking very oh, sharp. Let me show everybody. Hold on. Uh, no. Uh, oh, that, by the way, did you notice that tie that he's wearing? Very nice tie. I know. He's looking very dapper oh, today. Sergio. Yeah, there yeah. you go, huh? Sergio's looking good. Dennis is looking good. Everybody's looking good at the So he's right. going to a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Ben, you're wearing a nice shirt. That's Thank a nice... You. Uh, nice well, you know, now he's got the new nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nose jokes! Yes! It was a brutal month for me when it comes to uh, noses, man. Look at Geraldo. All right, so let's do this update here. Uh, <laughs> Illinois... After that fight. <laughs> oh, Geraldo. Hang tight, millennials. Please, hang tight. I remember that fight, though, that Geraldo fight. It was a chair, wasn't he? Hitting the yeah, he got the hit in the face. It, it was chair. brutal. Yeah. It was brutal. All right, Governor J.B. Pritzker and the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity have released a five-year plan to create an economy in Illinois that works for everyone to expand. Oh, wait, they have a, not only is it a five-year plan, it also has five plans. Oh, five, that's that's wow, pretty cool, that's right? That's, is that 25? Five times five? Wait a minute. Hold on. Let's carry the one. That is 25. <laughs> I just did did you go to the Daniel Bass, <laughs> Daniel Biss Mathematics Academy? Yes, I did. All right, let's find out this first plan. <laughs> Daniel Bass. Number Bass. one. Yeah. First plan to expand prosperity throughout the state. That's not bad. How about number two? Number, number two. two. <laughs> the plan is focused on fostering job creation. That's a good one. Mm. What about a third one? Number three. Improving wages. Oh, I could do, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Number, number four. Building greater equity. And finally. Number five. Attracting and supporting businesses. All right. Sounds great. Let's see uh, the specifics of that, see if any of it happens. But good for him for thinking the good things, right, D? Yeah, absolutely. Putting well, out good vibrations into the uh, atmosphere. Oh, wait. What's that, J.B. Pritzker? I'm yeah. not a perfect person. <laughs> I had a feeling he was going to say yeah, that. I, had a feeling. I hear he's got a sale on toilets. Yes, he does. All toilet jokes. <laughs> ah, Sergio. Sergio. <laughs> yeah, he's um, got nose jokes, you get toilet you, jokes. What'd okay. you get your little bust of Harold Washington? Oh, uh, this was a gift from someone here at the... From our good friend Hector. Ben Jarofsky Show uh, Facebook friend Hector. Hector Ivan Garcia. Thank you very much for that, Hector. My favorite mayor. So, mm-hmm. there you go. Is I, it true I read that Rauner sold off his Illinois properties? I do not. I He sold his house he in Winneka. But he also, as you know, had, con, I think, two condominiums in downtown Chico- yeah, two. Chicago. Two. Not one. Two. Uh, well, I know he had nine homes yeah. in the country. And, and I think they overlook Millennium Park, right? Yeah. Isn't that correct? He's got two condos in the same building. Because, you know, whatever. Why? Because uh, he's got the money? Yeah. Why? <laughs> so, yeah, why not? Uh, and, uh, Yay for our teachers! Yeah, there he Yay is, Bruce Rauner. So, Bruce Rauner, you know how they said uh, James Brown has left the building? Or was it Elvis has left Elvis the building? Elvis left the building. Elvis right. has left the building. Well, Bruce Rauner has not left the state. <laughs> oh, I have something to ask you I didn't put down. I need to know your... Sergio Mims, we're going to get, there's a lot to talk about with him, Trump, movies, etc. And teachers, as I said, I want to know what your thoughts on the pending teacher strike and Mm -hmm. how it's playing in your neck of the woods, uh, as opposed to how it's playing in my neck of the woods. Uh, But uh, Sergio Mims is a proud uh, resident of Hyde Park. 
Uh, I think you've lived your whole life in Hyde Park, uh, pretty much. And uh, he is a graduate of Kenwood High School, which Mm -hmm. is right there. Well, it's on the border between Hyde Park and Kenwood. And uh, so as such, you've been to the Museum of Science and Industry a few times in your life. Oh, I know what you're going to bring up. And now, I'm sorry, the Kenneth Griffin Museum. Uh, Your thoughts, please. Um, Just a lot of ego polishing. Look, you know, who was it who created it up? Julius Rosenwald? That is correct. He didn't put his name up. And there are a lot of buildings and institutions here that he founded in which you don't know because he didn't, it was not an ego thing. He cared about community. You know, these kids today, they get a little money. They want to put their <laughs> name up everywhere. Yeah. Um, he was still going to call it the Museum of Science and Industry. You call the Sears Tower still, still the Sears Tower. Yes. I do. People still call Sox, Sox Park Sox Park. Yeah. Or Comiskey, Comiskey Park. Yeah. Right? Nobody calls it Guaranteed Rate yeah. Field. <laughs> you know? I, so, yeah, you could put, he could put his name up on it, and he can brag all about it, but it's still on, always going to be to us, a two Chicagoan Museum of Science and Industry. All right, now, do you blame the uh, people who operate the Museum of Science Industry for take, for selling off the naming rights for $125 million, Or do you think they uh, were uh, well, sold it, 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 some- Wait a minute. Is it going to be called Kenneth Griffith Museum of Science and Industry? Yes. Or now the Kenneth Griffin Museum? No, it's called the, I believe it's called the Kenneth Griffin Museum of Science and Industry. People can still call it Science and Industry, Museum yeah. of Science and Industry. Yes. Regardless. That'll be part of okay. the Okay. So, like, if you're a poor, Biggest donation they ever got. Is it? To my knowledge. I don't think they've ever gotten that kind of money before. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think you may be right. The biggest. Right. So, go So, I can understand that. You know, to them, it's not... A, a big thing to put his name now in front of the museum because, as I said, we all know everybody's still going to call it the Museum of Science mm-hmm. and Industry. It will always be that. Well, look at it this way. How much money would it take to get someone to uh, be the uh, Kenneth Griffin Black Harvest Film Festival? Oh, about uh, $750. I don't know. <laughs> don't say that because the check's coming. <laughs> Griffin, I want to be known. I, want, I love black movies. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, welcome to the Kenneth Griffin uh, Ben Jarofsky Show studio. Of course. <laughs> of course. I'm holding out for $200 million, all right? Oh, wow. It's like... Um, <laughs> Uh, Lincoln Center is a David Geffen. That is correct. But everybody still calls it Lincoln Center. Uh, yes. Yeah. No. New, New York is always still will always call it Lincoln Center. Somebody was just talking about Lincoln Center on this show. When was that? Somebody was talking about was it, I can't remember. But yes, you're right. They were talking mm-hmm. about Lincoln Center. Right. Oh, it was yesterday. Uh, Adolfo, who's in the studio, the only person I know who's seen The Irishman. We'll get to that. Uh, Good easy. Must have in New York. He saw it in New York, part right. of the New York Film Festival. He yeah, told right. Okay, elaborate what... story and how expensive it was and mm-hmm. what he had to do to get it. The, the ticket. And I was very envious of him because he got to see it. Uh, but he called it the Lincoln Center. Did not call it. But I believe that uh, Geffen. I, the, my memory is that when he negotiated that deal. The deal he negotiated required his name to remain affiliated uh, with that music, with that center forever, even after he's gone. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if the same deal exists with uh, Kenny G, Ken Griffin, and uh, Museum of Science. Oh, David, Gr- David Griffin. No, uh, Kenneth Griffin, the, the head of the... Uh, no, no, I'm talking David Griffin with, with the... Um 
or uh, Lincoln Center. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. No, what I'm saying is I don't know if Ken Griffin got cut a deal with the Museum of Science oh, I I, I that would uh, allow um, his name to exist forever in connection or, or as soon as he has left this earth, even uh, mm-hmm. gazillionaires leave the earth sooner or later, uh, will they have the right to take the name down? I do not know the answer. I don't know the answer to that either. It's a contractual thing. I was irritated about it. Uh, not so much that Ken Griffin tried to do it. To me, but it was a minor was, irritation. But he's a big, isn't he a big Republican donor? He, he is indeed. He's the largest donor, uh, contributor to one Bruce Rauner. I believe he $36 sure million. Dollars. He also gave and a money. close friend of our friend Rom. That is correct. He, and uh, he gave a lot of money to Bill Daly. I believe he gave $2 million to the Bill Daly campaign. Did a lot of good it did for Bill Daly. Uh, he, I, he finished. Who's Bill Daly? Bill Daly ran for mayor of city of Chicago, younger brother of uh, baby oh, Daly. Oh, Daly. Oh, yeah, Daly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> you got to put the headphones on. No, I thought you were saying, it sounded like you were saying Bill Bailey. Oh, Phil, no, uh, why don't you come home, Bill Bailey? No. <laughs> uh, and uh, so he gave uh, $2 million to Bill, William Daly uh, in the last election. I call and, him the fainting Daly. And why? You don't remember when he got that, uh, he was, another, it was uh, when he was working for Clinton. He was, it was in the Clinton administration and they were introducing him and he like had a fainting spell and he dove into the, uh, the audience? I don't remember this. Look it up. You Look can find up. the video. Yeah, the Fainting Daily. I yeah. call him the Fainting Daily. Uh, that was the nice. Anyway, uh, so uh, Kenneth Griffin, uh, Museum of Science. All right. Oh, what news do you have for us on the movie front? Anything news you want to break for us? Go see Dolomite is my name. I can uh, tell you that right now. All right. Tell people a little bit about that movie. Uh, Dolomite uh, is a great comeback for Eddie Murphy and for Wesley Snipes. And it tells the story of Rudy Ray Moore. And I'm proud to say I still own a whole bunch of Rudy Ray Moore LPs. Not they were never released on CD, but I still got the LPs. Tell them who Rudy. Tell our millennial listeners. Rudy Ray Moore was a guy who was on the fringes of show business. He tried to be a comedian. He tried to be a dancer, a singer, and then in the early '70s, he created this character called Dolomite, <laughs> who was like the ultimate pimp. And he started doing these shows where, portraying this character, he would tell basically what were sort of folklore tales um, about he was the baddest pimp in town. And uh, dirty jokes, just really raw dirty jokes. And they were based in the humor of the streets with pimps and prostitutes. And he became a sensation, and then he started making albums, what they call party albums, mm-hmm. like uh, Eat Out More Often and uh, Dolomite for President. And we're on a podcast, right? Yes, we are So uh, you're like, this pussy belongs to me. Mm-hmm. I have that one. I can't find it yet. I got it. You somewhere. have it, but you can't find it? Yeah, I got others. Okay. I, put, I posted on Facebook. I got, mm-hmm. I got okay. And they were hits, right? I, this, Wait, this, so did you buy them in real time? Yes. Young Sergio Mills? Yes, because of couldn't stand Cosby. A, a, scholar, <laughs> a scholar at Kenwood Academy yes. was buying a, a Rudy Ray Moore albums? Because all the other comedians, oh, Cosby's not funny. I, want, I wanted Red Fox, Moms Mabley, uh, Richard and Riley. You remember them? The guy, he was on the Toilet Quist. Blowfly, um, 
I like the dirty comments. So how I did like you the, find your way to these? I'm, I, I'm, I envision you like in the scene in uh, the Marvis Mrs. Maisel, where there's that comedy store. Do you, have you ever seen that TV show? Where no, I've like, heard of it. Oh, uh, you should definitely watch that. Anyway, I like the Deuce. You ever watch the Deuce? I've not watched the Deuce. Okay. Uh, that's on my list of things to watch. It's I the just, final season. I just finally got around to watching Gilmore Girls. Uh, it takes <laughs> oh. me a while. I'm always a little behind. But uh, no, the Deuce by um, David Simon. Anyway, right. uh, I have it on. Uh, the uh, my Netflix to send it in the mail, so mm-hmm. I'm going to get that soon. All right. Anyway, but so how'd you find your way to these these records? Would you find Would you find these uh, blue well, records? Well, as I recall, I remember a cousin of mine had them, mm-hmm. like Red Fox stuff, and I knew someone else who had these records. And when I started hearing them as a kid, and I, I'm talking about a young kid, maybe it was ten or eleven. Your parents played them. No. How did you hear? How did you hear no. Red Fox records when you were ten years old? Well, because I knew people who had them, and well, older people, and that's the kind of humor I like. Yeah. And I said, well, this is what I like. You see, I was a Vans for my age. Yes, you were. And yeah. um, I would say so. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard Blowfly. How old were you when you first heard Blowfly? Oh gosh, at least twelve. Whoa. Um. I, yeah, I was a Vans for my age. So this is the stuff <laughs> I. Hey, look. When I was in high school, I read 120 Days of Sodom. It was in high school. Yeah. Marquis de Sade. You want to read a book that's wow. really <laughs> depraved. <laughs> it's depraved. Yeah. You know, I was, re- see, I was of a different mindset. Yeah. You know, of a different mindset. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> which explains a lot. I was going to say, yeah. So, um, that's the stuff I gravitated to. And then when I discovered Rudy Ray Moore, it was like manna from heaven. I said, this is it. This is what I've, I live for in my life. So, uh, And then he started making these really terrible low-budget movies. Now, when, when he made them, was he the director, the writer? No, 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 no. He, he just starred in them. Now, he improvised a lot and put, it, it was basically all his own stuff. He was not an actor. These movies have <laughs> no pace, no story, yeah. but they're funny as hell because it's Dolomite being Dolomite. Yeah. Now, tell people who Dolomite is. Well, no, it says Rudy Ray Moore, yeah. this character he yeah. created, right? Yeah. And so this movie, Dolomite My Name, is written by uh, uh, Larry Kruzinski and Scott Alexander. And they specialize in writing movies about fringes of, of Hollywood. Like they wrote the, the People vs. OJ, their miniseries. They wrote Ed Wood, right? The Tim Burton movie. Yeah. And this movie literally is the black Ed Wood. Or Ed Wood is the white Dolomite <laughs> is my name. Yeah. So, right, these people who have this dream of making movies, but they have no talent, but they have this burning desire. And they go ahead, despite all the odds, totally outside the studio system, with no money, go out and make a movie. And they were hits. So I mean, how, how did they the get Dolomite to- films were, were, were hits. They, they made money. Oh, yeah. I, they used to play here in Chicago at the Woods Theater. Remember yeah. the Woods Theater? <laughs> yes, Tell people where the Woods Theater is. It was over on Dearborn <laughs> and uh, Randolph. Yeah. I uh, I saw a few movies. I think I saw a couple Rocky movies at the uh, Woods Theater. They used to play a lot of United Artists movies. Yeah. I know. Was, was Rocky through United Artists? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I definitely recall seeing a, a Rocky <laughs> <laughs> a Rocky movie or two at the woods. So wait a minute. So if you, uh, if Rudy Ray Moore, did he make these movies outside of the studios? Completely. So how did he finance them? Well, the well in the movie, he um, basically got it from the record company who who are making monies off these records he was making. 
And then he just scrimped and scraped and, you know, raised the money. I mean, we're talking super low budget, mm -hmm. right? And then whatever these movies started making money, then he would put that money back to the next film. But they never spent any money no, on No, they made money. Yeah, yeah. And, and so these movies were coming out when you were in high school, correct? Or yeah. was it right after you came out of high school? No, no, no. It was in high school. Yeah. All right, so one of my favorite... Uh, uh, my favorite little themes is about how in Chicago there's a racial line. Mm -hmm. There's the black side of the line and the white side of the line. Yeah. It's been that way since I came mm -hmm. to town, Sergio. Uh, and pretty much white people do not know what's going on, on the black side of town, except for a hand of white people who are curious. Okay. And look, all right. Right. So uh, in, in your neck of the woods with your friends, the people you sat at the cafeteria with the people that you hung out on weekends, did yeah. you guys actually look forward to uh, Rudy Ray Moore movies when they came out? You were actually like, gonna I don't recall that I was into movies period. So I saw everything, right? I don't recall. Yeah. But I, I assumed they were, talked about but once again you know i told you i was reading my key to side <laughs> yeah, reading my some key weird decide. stuff nobody was reading that black or white right, on right. either side of the line <laughs> i was reading that stuff yeah. right so you know i you know i was <laughs> so you, you know what going on you have appreciation for what they call a uh, high culture and low culture oh yeah we don't we don't talk about this but uh uh sergio has a radio show which all classical music because mm -hmm. an expert in classical music. That's how I met him, actually, because my show came on after, after, after your show. And you guys still doing right. it? Uh, what's that? Still doing it? You're still doing the oh, show yeah. every, every Tuesday. Every Tuesday, yeah. 12 to 3. And, uh, WHBK. And then you, yeah, so it's just like this very erudite show with classical music. You knew how to pronounce all the names. I was always impressed by that. You, you mean Deutsche, like Deutsche Grammar von Gesellschaft? Oh, wow. Yeah, like that name. Wow. Uh, yeah. Hey, you and, know. And then at the same time, you know who Rudy Ray Moore is. I enjoy all the meat, meats of our cultural stew. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a big chunk of meat. <laughs> Hit up the bong on that one. All right. So going back to, uh, so now we know who Rudy Ray Moore is and his significance as a cultural figure uh, back in the early 70s when he started making these movies and that somehow or other found their way to the Woods Theater. Could think about that, whatever deal had to be cut to get. Well, the movie goes into that, how he made the deal to get the film show. I see. Okay. Don't want to give too much of it right. away. Uh, but what makes the, this... Uh, movie, which I'm really waiting to see with Beta. You, uh, you said it opens this weekend. I can actually see yeah, it on the big screen. Yeah, it's a Netflix movie, but they're opening up theatrically this Friday. It's not going to get a big, big release. I don't know how many theaters are going to play it, but it does open theatrically across the country. Then, in like in mid-November, it'll be on Netflix. Actually, it just should be a theatrical film. It looks fantastic. Okay. They really captured a period of the 70s really well with the clothes even the photography it looks like a 70s movie and it's it's just terrific and and uh what it is it's a simple underdog story everybody loves an underdog story about a guy who beat the odds mm -hmm. and eddie murphy by the way in a way don't read what critics are saying about it. No, it's getting rave reviews, mm -hmm. right? But white critics don't know anything about Rudy Ray Moore. To them, this is all new. I saw one guy, this is weeks before the movie came out, thought that Rudy Ray Moore was a fictional character that Eddie Murphy is playing because he's a dumb white guy. So anyway. He put that in print? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to say the guy. Uh, the don't name. say his name. No. Uh, <laughs> he's not in Chicago. All right. But, but, they don't know. Yeah. You know, this is a truly like black cultural thing. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, if you're from a certain generation, 
I bet even millennials, even black millennials, don't know Rudy Ray Moore. If if you're if you're a um, a black person of a, a certain generation, you know Rudy Ray Moore. Well, he was on the fringes. Uh, right, he, was he was on the, on the fringes. fringes. He was on right. the fringes of black exploitation. He was on the fringe. He was not. I would if you had a pantheon of like five or to ten great stars or significant figures of the black black exploitation era right. of the seventies. I don't believe he'd be in that time. No, he wouldn't. But so you'd have to have, even a black kid growing up in the seventies would have to be a little maybe maybe right out there to but know who he is. It's um uh, because somebody I read run review this was NPR say well Eddie Murphy doesn't look like Rudy Ray Moore and doesn't sound like it. What that's not the point. He captures the spirit of the guy. And what he did and what he tried to achieve in his very limited way. Mm -hmm. I mean, with limited means, what he achieved. And he was a success. You know, he was an absolute, he he passed away a few years ago, but he was an absolute success, Mm -hmm. you know, in his, you know, contained world. And um, they even show in the movie how party records were made. Uh, And for those of you who don't know, party records were the expression used for these sort of albums, dirty albums, you know, blue humor by by comedians, Red Fox and uh, LaWanda Page. I I listened to all that stuff as a kid. And they were called party albums because what they would do, sometimes they were recorded in a nightclub. But most of the time, what they would do is they would rent a house or a room and People would pay money. It was sort of like a party. Mm-hmm. People would pay money, and then the person would come out, uh, the comedian, and do their routine. And it'd be a sound man in the back, in a toilet or in a closet, recording it. Which is why the sound quality was never was never great, the the best. But they were called party albums. And there's a scene in the movie where they show him doing one of those party albums. And I said, Yeah, that's what it was like. You know, and he captured that. I, I, you're just wetting my appetite. I, my only question is, is this a movie that you think warrants being seen on the big screen, or is this one of those movies that you could just watch it on the boob tube? You really seem to be on the big screen. It looks great, it, and it's it's a movie. It's not a TV movie. It's uh, not one of those cheap, you know, TV films. All right, this is like a movie. Okay, I've asked you this before. I'm going to ask you this again. Uh, you're a movie man. You run your own film festival, or you're part of a group that runs a, a film festival. Uh, what's your attitude about the, uh, the dispute, if you will, between people like Steven Spielberg uh, and other directors who feel as though that you're uh, degrading a movie by sending it straight to Netflix or sending it straight for TV streaming? Well, Netflix and these other streaming services... They have become essentially the new B movies for the most part. You know, before then it was direct to video. Actually, they still do direct to video movies. Um, and then before that, there was the TV movie of the week. Mm-hmm. And before the TV movie of the week, you had B movies. B movies. And that's what it is now. It's they're basically B movies. Now they're spending a lot of money on them. I would not True. say Roma is a B movie. Roma right, went right, directly. No, Roma right. was one of the greatest, greatest movies of twenty eighteen. I agree with you. Roma was fantastic, and it went straight to Netflix. I think there was like a week or two. Well, where you Scorsese's seen it. new film was made for Netflix. Yes, it was. You but, know, but he cut a deal. It's going to be on the big screens for at least a month. 
Now, am I correct on that? Yeah, something. It, it should be longer than that. It's a three and a half hour movie. You no, know, I know we talked about it yesterday with right. Adolfo. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. Now, let me ask you this: Is does they have the right? Uh, people have asked me this. I don't know the answer to this. Do they have the right? Does uh, the the uh, distributors of the movie um, The Irishman, which was produced by Netflix, uh, have the right to hold it in, in theaters even after it's been released to Netflix? Sure, it's their movie. They can do whatever they want. They paid for it. But what doesn't Netflix? Wouldn't they be upset by that because they would? Don't, wouldn't they want uh, the movie exclusively shown on their streaming service? Well, you know, it's getting kind of muddy now. It really is. I can understand what Spielberg is coming from. What he's basically saying is we're, we're losing the movie experience. I understand that. It used to be a special event to go see a movie. Now, with streaming services, you know, I talk to a lot of younger people saying, I haven't been to movies in a long time. Yeah. I watch everything streaming. You know why? Because they're cheap. <laughs> right. C-H-E-A-P. Well, the millennials, they got no money. They're working as baristas. Please do not go anywhere, millennials. He doesn't mean that. No. Uh, they got money for something. It's like, hey, it's like, uh, it's like teachers in the city of Chicago. There's always money for something. They just don't want to spend it on teachers. You know, in the I city was talking to someone, and we were talking about how I'm going back to Marlins again. They they complain that they're doing these low-paying jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, I graduated from college. And I was like, so did I. Yeah. So did, we all did really, boy, you should see the jobs, some of the really lousy jobs I had after I graduated from college. All right. They were low-paying. Leave millennials alone. Some of my favorite people are millennials. Uh, I want to get one, before I head off into uh, local politics and Trump, uh, your your take on the Joker. I've not seen it yet. I hate it. Hate it. As in H-A-T-E. Explain why. I think it's a crummy picture. It just doesn't have a point of view. If we don't learn anything about Joker, if that was ever the intent at all in the movie, I think, oh, what's the guy's name? Joaquin Phoenix is terrible in the movie. I don't know why I'm hearing all this stuff about, he's brilliant, he's brilliant, he's genius. No, it's a, <laughs> yeah. Oh, shut up. Wait, is that your invitation of yeah, Phoenix? Well, I don't know. Just like, <laughs> That's him I, laughing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, oh. I hate to see actors when you see them acting. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you see they're putting the effort in it. You know, to me, acting should be natural. Like, yeah, that's the way people would act. Don't try to force it. You know, and that's what he's doing all the time in the movie. The movie is ugly. It, it, this is a movie for people who have never seen a Martin Scorsese film, but what to pretend that they have. Like, you you never seen Taxi Driver? Well, here's a really subpar version of that. You have you never seen King of Comedy? Here's a really subpar version of that. Now you can pretend that you've seen a, a, a Scorsese movie, even though this movie is a craptacular, as I called it. <laughs> Whoa, Sergio Mims rips the Joker. I just want you to know, Michael Moore was extolling its virtues yeah. to the high heavens. It's the greatest movie experience. I didn't oh, have any, come on. I'm just telling you what the man said. I've not seen the movie but now you've uh you've answered a question you know, for me i'm, I'm gonna go see you, 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 know, this you, know, you know what it is it's something else too i think that let me the person who raved about it does he like comic book movies i do not michael okay. moore the yeah. director michael oh moore. michael moore yeah 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 oh michael moore some more <laughs> all right michael moore, i you know i <laughs> gave him a comments. michael <laughs> i gave him a michael moore a long time uh, there went that michael moore interview <laughs> I gave up a yeah. Michael Moore a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I just saw his, uh, he was exclaiming the virtues of the movie. I, I was in 
planning to see Man it. of the common people who lives in an exclusive penthouse in New York City. Uh, I, think right. that, I think that's the same, Michael Moore. All right, uh, <laughs> let's switch gears, uh, talk a little politics here. Um, let's start local. And By uh, the way, I want. too bad he's not here. I want to apologize to Monroe. Anderson, because I always poo-pooed him when he's always talking about Trump and impeachment. Yeah. And I always poo-pooed him. I said, get out of here. They ain't going to impeach him. They ain't going to impeach him. They ain't yeah. going to impeach him. They did. Now, it wasn't for the Russia thing, which nobody understood. The reason why this this work, the reason is everybody understands this. For a scandal to work, people have to understand it. Okay, but what about the latest? Or I'll, I'll push uh, local politics to the side for the moment. Deal with uh, since you yeah. raise it. Uh, Donald Trump. I talked about this already. Has announced that he is not cooperating in any way with the impeachment effort. Of course, he was. He's not going to release. Uh, records he's not going to release any kind of documents he's going to instruct his uh, people who work for him or have worked for him not to testify why by the way they have to do what he tells them i do not you know that's a whole other mm -hmm. issue they can show up if they want right, to true. uh last i looked it was a free country mm -hmm. uh and so he is te essentially telling them uh, disobey the subpoena you get from congress so He's giving, as I said, uh, two middle fingers high mm -hmm. to the investigation mm -hmm. and just letting the court of public opinion yeah, right. decide. And he's confident that he will be reelected, uh, even if he's openly defying subpoenas. If he's even if he's saying that I am above the law, mm -hmm. most people in this country will agree with me, or at least with our insane system of electing president, I can mm -hmm. win an electoral victory again. Do you think? He is right to assume that he has the authority to openly defy subpoenas, congressional investigators, and still get elected. I think there's a shot he can get elected. I really even do. openly defying. Yeah, mm -hmm. I sure do. Take it. Go a little further. Why do you say that? Because um, his appeal. One of the main reasons his appeal. You know they always say he fights. He fights, right? Um, Trump represents all those pissed off white guys who always felt that they were excluded out. You know, back in high school, politics is high school. Politics is high school. I remember years ago when Clinton was president, somebody said the reason why so many conservatives hate Bill Clinton is because he reminds them of that slick talking guy in high school who got out the cheerleaders. And I said, yeah. That's why they don't like him. It's high school. Tr Donald Trump represents to them that guy who was always excluded out. He was never part. He was always laughed at, you know. And then all the black guys were getting the white chicks in high school. So they really were pissed <laughs> off, right? Yeah. And he kind of, they feel like. Oh, was that the way it was at Kenwood? Yeah. So <laughs> nobody yeah. touched me. I was reading the side. Yeah, but right. anyway. But he wanted to. That's the crazy guy reading to and, and you know, it's it's um And listening to Rudy Ray Moore Rudy records. Rudy Moore. I was really Yeah. Um it, it's it's um um Yeah, but that was his appeal. That was still his appeal, mm -hmm. right? That he's fighting for us, you know, woe the woe begun you know, white guy who's never gotten a break in his life because everything went for everything went to everybody else, mm -hmm. right? So of course he's going to defy that, 
whatever order, because you know they don't like him. Look, Trump was never part of the Manhattan elite. He wanted to be. Uh, he was from Queens. He didn't go to the right schools. He didn't know the right people. He was crude. He was uncouth. And he was never part of that Manhattan scene. And he always resented that. And on top of that, he was broke most of the time. He, how many times he went bankrupt? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was reading an article about um, yeah. uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. To talk um, about that a long time. This was in, uh, in um, the Lady Search of Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. And uh, this woman who, like, knew him Mm -hmm. and people who hung around him. And she said all the models wouldn't go near Donald Trump because he was broke all the time. They considered him a laughingstock. And so Donald Trump is always, there's always been revenge for him. Now I believe that he never thought, well, there's a bait about that. Did he actually believe he was going to be president? Um, There are people who say he really didn't want to be president. He didn't think he was going to win. But he did win, you know. And and by the way, please tell Hillary Clinton, shut her mouth. I'm sorry. She's talking again. Now, why do you say Don't that? Don't say that. No, because she said something recently like maybe there should be another, maybe I should run, no, not she, I should run again, but maybe what would happen if we ran again? Don't, don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Just go away. Go away. You want to, are you on the payroll of the GOP? Go away. But as I recall, you supported Hillary over Bernie in 2016. Am I correct? No, I supported Bernie. Oh, okay. I sit corrected. I sit corrected. I supported Bernie. Are you now, still supporting Bernie? No, no. He had his shot four years ago. Mm-hmm. Now he had the heart attack. And you know his daughter-in-law passed away yesterday. Oh, you didn't know this? I, I missed that. Yeah, I heard it. Yeah, his daughter-in-law suddenly passed away oh, my yesterday. Goodness, things are piling yeah, up. Yeah, things are piling up on him. Mm. But when he had the heart attack last week, I said that's pretty much it. You know, I don't think he's gaining any traction mm-hmm. or any anything. And um, he he said yesterday that he's going to cut down on personal yes, appearances I saw and that. everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, his daughter-in-law passed away. I did away. not see that. So it's been piling on him mm-hmm. yesterday. That's horrible. Uh, yeah. I, um, listen, I... Uh, it, I had to just have to pause here and say this about Bernie. We had a couple of Bernie uh, supporters on the show. What was it on Monday, D? Uh, Miles and Micah were extolling the virtues of Bernie Sanders. And uh, it just seems as though in a, in a bizarre way, uh, Sergio, that progressives or lefties, whatever you call us, can't catch a freaking break in this country. I mean, Bernie Sanders articulated every single ideal and value that a true that- lefty has. Uh, he forced the Democratic Party to at least play like they're paying attention yeah, to I'm him. I'm telling you, I believe in all my heart. He could have, he, he, he would have beat Trump four years ago. No doubt. Hillary put the shiv in him. It should have been a fair fight. It should have been a fair fight. And instead of her with all these super delegates and everything, it should have been a fair fight and let the best person win. But if he was on the ticket four years ago, he would have beat Trump. No doubt about it. No, to now, four years later, he seems like leftover bread. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't wash anymore. It's now between um, uh, Biden, who I wish was 10 years younger and sharper, 
right? Biden and Georgina McGovern. I mean, Elizabeth <laughs> Warren. He loves that Georgina McGovern line. All right, what's your problem with Elizabeth Warren? You were bad-mouthing uh, her in a text to me the other day. Yeah, well, Georgina Warren. I, okay, give you an example. Uh, you remember when Hillary Clinton said in a speech that she wanted to close down all the uh, coal mines? Uh, yeah, I've, I I don't know if it was, she, that she, was the exact quote, but that, that was pretty cut. Okay, yeah, it was. It, it, there was a theme in that, uh, a similar theme. Now, I, don't, I, I, now, I don't think that was the exact quote, but, but yeah, continue but, anyway. But yeah. but that's not what you okay. Coal is dying. We all know that. Look what's happening. All these. Uh, the reminds me of an article in New York Times. Maybe you, you saw it. Uh, I'll get to that about West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, but coal's a dying industry, right? But that's not what you say. To people, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Warren wants to end fracking. Okay, now you can argue. Okay, fine, but you're not going to win Pennsylvania. That's a big industry now in Pennsylvania. It's fracking. So for her to say that you want to lose Pennsylvania again, you got you got to be careful. You, I mean, this sounds like you make compromises. Yeah, that's what politics. Is it's compromised, mm. but you can't say things like that. You got to be careful, and still there is that persnickety, school marmish, high school principal thing she's got that I think turns people off. Okay, let me put it this way: people have the perception that she's talking down to them or schooling them. You have to relate to them. You can't like. Do that. You know, it, it's not going to work. You're going to turn people off. And I'm thinking, and I've been thinking about those the last few weeks. I said, if she's a, if she is the Democratic candidate, this is going to be George McGovern time. Well, you think that if uh, Elizabeth Warren is the Democratic candidate, that will be overwhelming uh, electoral, and it wasn't just electoral. He, uh, I think Nixon got close to sixty percent of the vote. I mean, it was a. This is destroyed. Yeah, I do not in any way believe that uh, that would happen. I don't. I I don't care who the Democratic nominee is. I don't believe Donald Trump uh, will get a majority of the vote. In fact, uh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Uh, I believe any Democrat who runs against Donald Trump will get a majority of the vote. Now we get to the Electoral College and how Wisconsin goes and how Michigan goes and Pennsylvania goes. Right. There's a lot of factors at play. I understand all that. But there's no way. In fact, I believe that whoever runs against Donald Trump will get more votes than Hillary Clinton. Will win by a greater margin. I don't know. We'll see. I tell you this. If <laughs> whoever's a Democratic candidate, I would just run in Pennsylvania, Michigan, okay, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> and Wisconsin. Yes, learn everything from, else can take care can, of themselves. Yes, and so that's why I'm not so quick. Uh, I will to go write after Colorado. Well, that that's like where Donald Trump would go if he wants to uh, go after the Democrats. But I believe this. I I don't think anybody will play around this next election. Forget Florida. It, 
Yeah, I wouldn't forget Florida. Um, and you know, forget Texas. I know people are saying Texas is more purple. Forget Texas. It depends who I, you're I'm going, I'm going for. I'm going for Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Colorado. All right, all right. Now, listen. Before I let you go, and Carlos is uh, in the studio, ready to come on. I have to ask you uh, the question I uh, raised when you first walked in, and it popped into my mind. And uh, when we've been talking a lot about the pending Chicago teacher mm-hmm. strike, uh, I'm. I, Make no bones about it. Uh, I believe that the teachers are making some very valid points. Well, the thing about homeless. You heard me talk about homeless high schoolers. It's really, how can you, how can you disagree with that? Now, two things. All right. Now, so as I said, but but the PR front on the north side of Chicago among uh, uh, white people on the north side of Chicago, I'm seeing and hearing the same things I heard in 2012 with that. You know, why can't they just get along? And their sympathies are with the mayor. Their sympathies were with the mayor in 2012, by the way. There's re- re- they rewrite history, like make all these people like they were out mm-hmm. in the streets with the teachers. But most of the uh, the white people that I talked to on the north side, I'm just breaking it down, Sergio, were pro-ROM. In your humble opinion, your neck of the woods, lifelong Hyde Parker, Kenwood High graduate, mm-hmm. still live on Hyde Park, mm-hmm. still take that green line and they're shocked when you see white people on the 63rd <laughs> Street. Buddha <laughs> Your boy, Buddha Ted. What, what, what the? What? Who? What? Yeah. What that happened? So, how do people in your neck of the woods view this? Um, well, particularly in Hyde Park, pro teachers, pro union, pro teachers. Even though. Um, did she carry the award? No. No, Preckwick could carry. Preckwick, uh, no, Lori wait, wait, Lightfoot wait, wait, carried every ward in the city hold. of Chicago. Wait, wait. Fourth ward. I live in the fourth ward. I yeah. live right in the edge of the fourth ward, which is still technically Kenwood. Yeah. Okay. I'm a block away from the fifth ward. Uh-huh. Okay. Who carried the fifth ward? I can't recall. It was, I I believe the Lori Lightfoot carried every ward in the city. Young Dennis is uh, She carried every ward? <laughs> okay. Um... I said he's looking it up. He's like, oh, I'm not looking it up. Right. But um, <laughs> the, the pro teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Now, two things. Uh, first of all is that Lori Lightfoot is doing what every politician does. You know, when a, the union's going to go and strike, you act tough. Because the image you want to give is that I'm going up against the spoiled uh, people, who, spoiled, overpaid brats who get everything. And, you know, it's a PR thing, mm-hmm. right? At the same time, I can't imagine Lori Lightfoot wants to make the same mistake that Rom did with the teacher strike. Mm-hmm. You remember <laughs> when Rom had that teacher strike, oh, sure. and then he yeah. was like um, using obscenities against yeah. you know Karen, Karen Lewis. Lewis. She doesn't want to make that kind of mistake. All she has to do is don't just think, don't be Rom. Yeah, and she's don't clearly be not being Rom. Right. So she's not uh, you know raising a middle finger to the teachers, and she's not uh, telling the leaders of the teachers f you the way Rom uh, said to Karen Lewis, a fellow uh, graduate of Kenwood High, I might add. Uh, well, few, she was a few years ahead of you. Uh, so your sense of it is that in your neck of the woods, folks are a little more enlightened uh, and have yeah. a little greater appreciation than on the north side of Chicago where somebody be I don't know come on Ben then they always ask me Ben can you do something like like the like I got some sway with the teachers well, because, you know you know fifth ward fourth ward fifth ward you know it's progressive All right. you know good to hear that good to hear that there's at least one neck of the woods where somebody in Chicago cares about the teachers Sergio Mims is his name he's the um, co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival we're going to take a break and bring Carlos on and when Sergio returns uh, I guess you're going to come back in a 
month, pretty much a monthly visitor here at the Ben Jarofsky Show. We have some updates on Black Harvest Film Festival. Uh, that's still too early. All right, it's still early. Uh, it's about January. But I will say this. One of our most popular uh, bonus features, to my amazement, is the roundtable we did on uh, What's Up Time I want to do that again. We're going to do it again. I haven't decided. I think we're going to do it with um, uh, the Martin Scorsese movie with the Irishman. I think that yeah. is going to be worthy. Although Dolomite, I may get a black exploitation panel. You gotta in get here. Lee Bay on. Uh, Lee Bay, get he, you. He, Lee he Bay. wants to print new. Wait, all right. We'll talk about that later. Book. No, uh, I'm sorry. I just started because I got to interview him tomorrow. Right? All right. Very good. That's Sergio Mims. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Carlos Ballesteros is on deck. We'll bring him on when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. Today's Ben Jarofsky show was brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. They're located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, they are amazing. 773-942-6522 is the phone number. They're open Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. Sundays, 12 until 7 p.m. Take it easy, Sergio. Have a good one. The one person in the world who didn't like that Joker movie, Sergio Mims. Oh, he's complimenting me on my tie. I'm wearing a tie today, everybody. Yeah, looking sharp, I guess. Uh, yeah, the one person in the world who didn't like the Joker movie, Sergio Mims. Green Element Resale. Now, why did I give you the phone number? Why did I give you the hours? Well, let me tell you why. Because I'm looking at this website right now, greenelementresale.com. They have so much stuff, all right? I can't even name all of the things that they have at Green Element Resale. I'm looking at pictures right now on GreenElementResale.com. I'll tell you what I see. I'm going to pull this. Oh, my. Does anybody need pillows? Anybody listening need pillows? Ben? I need a pillow. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm looking at about 20 of them right here. GreenElementResale.com, all right? Plenty to choose from. Green Element Resale. It's between Devon and Granville uh, right off of Broadway. So go check it out. Stop in. Say thanks. For sponsoring the Ben Jarofsky show. That's awesome. It's Green Element Resale. Check out that big cool van that they got as well and find more information at greenelementresale.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky show live from the Chicago Sun Times. Sergio Mims has left the room. Sergio Mims has left the room. What a, that was a great conversation, if I must say so myself. Yeah. Uh, we just started doing that Dolomite thing. Uh, D, I don't know if you had any intentions of seeing the Eddie Murphy movie. I Carl- love Eddie Murphy, so I, I know you're Carlos. You an Eddie Murphy fan? Uh, I am, and I just saw the ad for that movie. I had I didn't know it was coming out. Well, I really he, didn't either. He he. Uh, 
that was just a great deep dive that Ser- only Sergio Mims uh, could do that. He, he The knowledge he has about Rudy Ray Moore, who is uh, the character mm-hmm. that uh, Eddie Murphy portrays in the Dolomite flick. And that opens here in Chicago, and I will definitely see it. Sorry, the Joker. I was going to see the Joker this week, but thanks to Sergio Mims. <laughs> That's out the window, and I'm going to watch Dolomite. I'm very uh, impressionable, D, you might say. Do you have any updates, or should I go straight to Carlos? Uh, hey, find us on Facebook, social media, if you've yet to, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on both Facebook and Twitter. We live stream the program. If you're listening to this on the download, check out the live stream. Get a load of uh, some days uh, Some days we dress up nice. Today's <laughs> one of those days. I got a tie on. You're looking awesome. Oh, man. hey, thanks. Don't get used to it. I'm going to look <laughs> okay. like crap tomorrow. Same, back to business as usual tomorrow, all <laughs> yeah. right? Do not get used to it. I got my hat in my backpack. I'm ready to just get back to normal old Dennis. But no, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. And the big announcement that we made yesterday, if you've yet to hear the news, first Tuesday, well, Ben has a new co-host uh, starting November 5th. The one, the only, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Dukmasva. It's going to be awesome. So Tuesday, November 5th, uh, put a new uh, coat of paint on the uh, first Tuesday show a little bit. Same old Ben, but... Maya Dukmasova will Maya. be joining Ben. So, yes. hey, go check out uh, the first Tuesday, November 5th. Yeah, my uh, dear friend Mick Dumkey, who I did the show with for five years, said, I've had enough. Uh, <laughs> and it is, you know, you got to get the guests and whatever and set aside the time. And so I appreciate Mick's decision. I love him dearly. Still a good friend of mine. But uh, I, I like doing it. So I said, I'm going to continue. And I asked Maya to join me. Uh, Carlos, you were at the last show, weren't you? I was. That's where I saw was you. Was that Mick's last show, then? That was Mick's wow. last show. And, and we he'd been talking about it. Uh, it was on his mind for a while. And I said, Mick, so we, we started the show. Is this it? He goes, yeah, this is my last show. And I always have to think, Carlos, I go, you always let somebody, like, give, give them 24 hours. You get what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. Tim Tutton, who owns the bar, was like, all right, Ben, you got what are you going to do next? I go, I'm going to give Mick Dumkey 24 hours to reconsider. And 24 hours later, he said, nope, I still want to move on. So... <laughs> Mick, you're my man, but uh, I'm moving on with mine. I think we're going to do some teacher stuff. We're going to be talking about uh, school issues, obviously. Uh, Carlos, tell your first time on our show. Welcome to the show. Thank bright, you. bright young star here at the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, and you did uh, some of the stories about Leon Finney. We'll get into that. But introduce yourself a little bit. Tell uh, folks uh, about yourself. Are you a Chicago kid? I am a Chicago kid. Uh, so I... Was born on 35th and Damon, across the street from Huck Finn in McKinley Park. Oh, Huck Finn. Uh, I know it very well. Yeah. yeah. So a uh, little blue house that's across the street there. That's where I lived when I was a baby. Uh, and then we moved around the southwest side a bit, went to Gage Park, went to um, closer to Pershing, um, then uh, lived in Mexico for a bit, um, came back and moved to Bridgeport then. And that's where I stayed through high school. Uh, did you what high school did you attend i went to phoenix military academy it's right you told me that yeah so the six how did how did you you and your parents decide on that it's a funny story so when i came back from mexico i was going into my sophomore year of Mm -hmm. high school and uh we had been in mexico for a few years and uh had no idea how the high school application system worked or anything. So we came back in the summer of 2009 and just was, you know, no clue as to how to move forward with picking a high school. Um, My cousin, my younger, my younger cousin, Jasmine, she was going to Phoenix and to start out her freshman year. And she mentioned it and I was like, you know, whatever. All right. Sounds good. So did you have to wear a uniform? I did. 
every day. And did you march? Did they? It was just a military uh, atmosphere in the school. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I think it was most prevalent in the morning. We had to have like formation outside, and we had like companies, and you know, made us do push-ups if we were late, stuff like that. All right, now I'm not going to make any uh, stereotypical observations based on appearance, but except for this one. If I were to look at you right now, I would not think military. Uh, your hair is a little long, you have a beard. Uh, that was the same case when I was in high school. I would always get in trouble for not cutting my hair and I would always push it to the limit and then cut my hair and then do it again, you know, like <laughs> three months later or something. Um, but yeah. And you, you survived four years. Yeah, it was a three. I, I went in as a sophomore. I see. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was great. It was, um, the teachers were great. Um, the school was really small and it was ha mostly half black, half Latino. And that gave me a great impression of the South side, the West side, made a lot of friends from around the city. Um, and yeah. Was I, it difficult uh, to make your way uh, w to find black friends? Was, it, was that a gulf I talked about with Sergio all the time, the gulf between black and white? Was it difficult for you uh, to cross that barrier, so to speak, that boundary, so to speak? No, I, 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 I didn't find it difficult at all. It was cool. I mean, I think Phoenix is one of those schools where, um, uh, you know, obviously, like as you see in any high school, Latino kids hang out with Latino kids, and black kids hang out with black kids. But for a large, for for you know, there was a lot of, um, uh, yeah, multiracial friend groups. Where is Phoenix? Where was it located? So it's still on. It's on Western and and Adams. I've been by it a, a million times. Yeah, that area of the city is changing. Yeah, quite a it bit. is changing. The hot dog place, the uh, the controversial. What's it oh, called? Oh yeah, the uh, Felony Frank's hot Felony dog Franks. place is right yeah. down the street. It, it closed unfortunately. I, now it's like a fish place or something. Oh. But it was there when I was in high school. You were probably eating there all the time. I only went once actually, and it was pretty good, but didn't go. So how'd you find your way to journalism? Uh, it was only until I uh, went to college. Um, so. Phoenix didn't have a student newspaper at the time. Um, I did like writing, but I never thought of myself as a journalist or becoming a journalist. So I went to school in California at the Claremont Colleges, went in thinking I was going to study politics, um, ended up switching to history. And uh, my second semester, my first year, uh, walked into the student newspaper. They were advertising, like, we need new writers, et cetera, et cetera. So I, was, I thought I'd give it a shot and ended up really liking it. You got hooked? I got hooked. What is it about journalism that hooked you? Um, I think uh, 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 speaking to the public and with the public about topics that matter to people is really good. I think also as a history major, I realized that um, as I was digging through archives and periodicals and doing research for papers and stuff that... Um, how media portrays events and what events get covered is super important, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, when people are trying to look back and establish a narrative of what the city or whatever the campus looked like. So I wanted to put in my two cents and make sure that the stories I thought were important and that my friends thought were important would be covered. And so how'd you find your way to the Sun-Times? I got to the Sun-Times through, so I graduated from school, came back, and bartended and freelanced for a bit. Uh, and then I got a job in New York with Newsweek. Uh, it was on their digital team, essentially mining the internet for clicks and writing a lot of aggregated stories. And I did that for a bit and did that for about a year. And then this opportunity came up through a new fellowship called Report for America. Essentially, they, um, they subsidized a reporter's salary in a local newsroom across the city. 
um, uh, for a year, and then they extended for two years. Um, so I, I that and we were the that was the inaugural cohort of students or journalists, sorry, that uh, were applying for these positions. And the Sun Times had an opening uh, through the program, and I applied and thankfully got in. And so then you came back to, to your hometown. Yeah, came back. And uh, so how long have you been with the Sun Times now? Uh, turned a year in June, so it's going on my second year now. Uh, are you seeing the city in a new way now that you have to report on it? Are you seeing suddenly understanding dynamics that you didn't understand before? Talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, uh, trying to, you know, I think growing up in Chicago, you all obviously get like a, a solid sense of nepotism and corruption, et cetera. But, you know, going through the mud really you know you get to realize how deep things go and all and also i think um i th you know i i cover a lot of issues relating to housing and gentrification and i think uh reporting on it has made me realize that it's more than just about real estate or um housing prices like when we think of displacement it sometimes it can get a little too abstract or stuck in the stats, mm -hmm. um, but talking to people on the ground and you know how they're fighting to keep their neighborhood, um, that really impacted me because I was gone for most of my formative years, you know, from eighteen to twenty something. So uh, coming back and really understanding how Chicago is changing uh, so fast. Did, uh, you, did you actually see that yourself? Did you have that moment? Uh, of realization. What was that TV show, D, uh, where, uh, where Tracy Morgan uh, oh, yeah. gets out of jail, out of prison, and he comes back to Brooklyn, and uh, the original... Uh, Something OG. Yeah, and I love the yeah. city. comes out, he can't... When he goes into prison, Brooklyn is one way, and then when he comes out of prison, Brooklyn is completely different. It's gentrified. He's seeing... The last OG. The last OG. Yeah, yeah the last OG. Sergio Mims is the last OG. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you have that moment like that not that you came out of prison sure. uh, but that moment when you go, my goodness, goodness i do not uh recognize this city i thought we were going to talk about that ben no, uh, yeah. no, um, <laughs> that's it he did yeah he really wasn't uh new york working for newsweek yeah I, I i you know for a little bit i would come back to chicago during winter break and sometimes in the summer but um when i came back this last round last year um yeah i i, I remember so i live on i live in pilsen now which is where my grandma landed in 1960 and she stayed there for a while um but then she left and now living in the neighborhood where she lived in and trying to understand how that's changing um i think it hit me on moving day i think because we were not the only moving truck on the block like it was two two families moving out on the same block and we were moving in and i that kind of really crystallized things for me because mm -hmm. it was like me and my friends do you do you have this uh there's a typical chicago attitude uh that i notice which is how do i put it change happens get over it uh there's nothing you can do about it uh it's the way things are shut up yeah uh that's i've heard <laughs> that kind of sums up a chicago attitude toward a lot of things uh um, the teachers to a certain degree it sums up yeah. chicagoans attitudes toward teachers who are trying to point out all the things that are wrong with our public schools and begging for uh some assistance but it also uh carlos i think i hear a lot of people talk about that when it comes to the issue of gentrification do you uh subscribe to that notion i don't know not at all i think you know nothing is inevitable i think people make the rules and people can also change the rules you know and um i think 
it's also I, I tie that argument in with like when people bring up oh well Pilsen used to be Czech and Irish and Polish and that changed uh, I think what's different now is the speed of change I think um, if you rewind the clock 10 years um, Pilsen looked so much different mm-hmm. as a, and, and 10 years is not a long time you know we, when we think of Pilsen it's only been 50 60 years the way we think of it now you know that that Mexican community that is there now was pushed out of the near west side and Maxwell Street when all that was demolished for the highways and and then the, the Czechs and the Irish and the Polish went westward and went to the suburbs but that was in you know the 40s and the 50s for the most part um that's not a long time like people it, and I think the argument that like oh well things change I, I it's funny because like the Czechs and the Polish and other immigrants had like a hundred years settled in that neighborhood. And then the Mexicans came and now in the last 10 years, thousands of families have been displaced. So it's not like, it's not like before it's very different because now it's a lot of corporate money coming in. Yeah. And I would also make this other distinction, uh, where correct, uh, the ethnic background may be different. So it may be someone uh, from Mexico or Central America moving in as opposed to somebody from Europe, Czechoslovakia, et cetera. But the role the neighborhood played as a port of entry neighborhood is mm-hmm. the same. It's just the, pe- the people who are entering are maybe, you know, look a little different than the people that enter, but they're still, they need a place, a destination to go to. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. No, so that's the fundamental difference. And my humble opinion is absolutely, it's not a port of entry for new immigrants. Well, we've pretty much slammed the door shut in the age of Donald Trump on new immigrants anyway, but it's, it's, it's now what, how would you describe Pilsen? Aging. Um, uh, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot of when it's, it's tricky because you don't want to sound the death knell in a neighborhood that's still very much alive. Um, but the, the, the closer you get to downtown, like past Racine is, is that's the side of the neighborhood that's, uh, east of Racine. That's mm-hmm. like super gentrified. And by that, I mean, um, singles or couples, uh, with that make more money than anybody else around them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a real deal. I, I, I talked to an organizer in Pilsen not too long ago. He's been there for 40 years. Uh, and he said, you know, there were always white kids here. There were always students. There were always musicians. There were always artists. That wasn't really the issue. The issue is when someone comes in that makes three times as much as you do a year to rent down the block, then that becomes the issue. It's a, so he, he framed it as a class issue more than a racial one, um, which I think makes a lot of sense. It does indeed. Uh, Carlos Ballesteros is my guest on Times Reporter. Uh, he did a big investigation on Leon Finney. Talk about people been around the city for a long time. Leon Finney. When I first moved to Chicago uh, in uh, 1981, Leon Finney was uh, already a name in community organizing from the Woodlawn area. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, very early on seeing him give a speech talking about the per- principles of Alinsky-style organizing. Uh, I was very young and impressionable. Uh, Carlos, and he made a big impression on me, I can tell you that. Uh, Things have changed in terms of Leon Finney. We'll take a little break and talk about it with Carlos when we return. Tony Preckwinkle, in in a series of these forums and debates, I've counted uh, some of your uh, questioners have had to ask four or five times. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. 
Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago Land Cremation Options.com. All right, everybody. More Ben Jarofsky show in moments, but we have to remind you about something that's going to be happening tomorrow at Sidetrack Bar in Boys Town. It's a discussion with Marianne Williamson. She's going to be there at Sidetrack. Is that correct, Ben? Oh, that is correct. Oh, wait. Hold on. Let the master take care of it. That's correct. Thank you, Robert Muller. <laughs> She's going to be in attendance at Sidetrack Bar. Uh, the Chicago Reader, they're going to be doing a little uh, debate special here. Uh, Maya Duke-Mosva will be joining as well. It's at Sidetrack Bar. Uh, I believe it's off Broadway. Boy, I should have looked up that address before I started talking about this. Sidetrack Bar in Boys Town. Oh, wait. Hold on. Do I have? Okay. No, that's the address of the Chicago Reader. All right. It's going to be a fantastic time, though, guys. You should make it out. Ben's going to be there. Uh, if you're ever like, boy, I'd really like to shake the hand of Ben Jarofsky. Well, tomorrow might be the day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll be there, too. Yes, indeed. Maybe I'll wear my tie. You should wear your tie. All right. right maybe I will. Mary Williamson's going to be there. Put a tie on. All right. Good it God. It says here, presidential candidate, like you're wearing a tie. It says here, <laughs> presidential candidate Marianne Williamson will be in attendance at Mobilize in addition to Several lo uh, local politicians and organizers join reader staff and community members tomorrow. Sidetrack Bar for a discussion and screening of October 10th's LGBTQ presidential town hall hosted by no tie wearing Ben Jarofsky <laughs> and Maya Duke Masova. Ben's going to be busy. He's going to be talking to Marianne Williamson again on Friday. So if you miss this event on Thursday, do not worry. Uh, I believe we're going to be live streaming this event. Yes, we're going to be from the Cards Against Humanity studio. I'd say come on out to the studio, but I don't want to invite a bunch of people and you can't get in so make sure you check it out on the the uh, facebook video live stream ben jarofsky talking with marianne williamson again ben you are a busy guy this week i am really busy oh, I, uh, running like crazy well kitty kurtz is a friend of the show comes on the show a lot uh kitty and kevin uh, the, the what do we call them the political love couple political, every time they come in here they're holding hands uh, guys yeah, come, on, come focus. on now you've been married for 30 years Good enough Lord, with the hand i love him anyway <laughs> they're working for marianne williamson so uh I would say, hey, when are you going to get Mary Williamson on my show? All right, Ben. So this is what they came up with. We're going to do this uh, over at uh, Cards Against Humanity. She'll be from Maya will be with me as well. And um, interviewing Marion Williamson. You know, uh, I... Uh I was uh, impressed with some of the, I don't know, Carlos, if you have any opinions about what uh, her role in those first couple debates, but I was impressed with some of the things she said. Uh, I, like I, I pointed out, I was like, I've never heard of a, a mainstream presidential candidate talk about reparations quite the way Marion Williams. Are you nervous at all? Uh, no. Not at all. Oh, so what are some of the questions? Maybe give us a sample question. I know you've been up uh, doing show prep for this one, right? Uh, yes, uh, Marion, <laughs> who cut your hair? <laughs> Don't ask that. But come check it out. Sidetrack Bar in Boys Town. And uh, we're going to be uh, streaming live an interview with Marianne Williamson as well. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take us home. I will, but for 10 trivia points, who was I uh, quoting there with who cut your hair? Does anybody know in this studio? Millenn two millennials wouldn't know this, but maybe you, throwback millennial, you're kind of rebel millennial, you might it's know. from a movie? Uh, Cheese and Chong, man. Oh. Who cut your hair? Anyway, whatever. Wait, <laughs> somebody knows Let that. me check real quick. 
Uh, yeah, all the millennial listeners are gone. Wait, I want to ask you my millennial trivia question of the day. All right, go Anna. So go for it. If you don't know it, you don't know it. Okay, you know they're not going to like take away your millennial card, Carlos. For ten trivia points, Carlos, who is Tyler Blevins? Tyler, no clue. Not even going to pretend to, to wow. think about that one. Do you know him by his nickname Ninja? No. Have you ever heard of Fortnite? Yes. What is Fortnite, please? A video game. Very good. <laughs> give, give him his millennial card back. But when did you find out about Fortnite? Uh, two days ago. Okay. Well, okay. So, there nice. you go. so don't worry, Carlos. <laughs> so, All good. I, I, I was watching. He was on um, uh, Trevor Noah's show. Oh. And Trevor Noah was playing Fortnite mm. with this guy. I didn't know who he was. Still, I you of, really still don't. I, but go ahead. I, well, I'm, apparently I know more than the millennials in this room. <laughs> so, you know, I'm watching, I'd never heard of Fortnite before. Uh, and so, like, they were really into Fortnite. So I looked up Fortnite, and then I looked up Ninja, and I got to Tyler, and I discovered he's huge in the gaming world. I didn't even know there was a gaming world. Oh, yeah. Millions and millions of dollars in that. How did I not know this? Yeah. <laughs> Carlos, humorous for a moment. Ben Jarofsky, name. Three video games popular among gamers, including Fortnite. Go For, ahead. Fortnite? Two more. Okay, Fortnite. Um, what's that other one? Oh. <laughs> what's that no, other Mario one? Brothers. That is not popular oh. for gamers. Um, Maybe yeah. the newer Mario, but I won't take that. Ms. Pac-Man. Oh, my God. You're done. <laughs> Carlos, can you name three? Uh, I uh, Call of Duty, maybe. Call of Duty. That's uh, correct. Uh, and... Uh, that's all I got. Wow, <laughs> man, this is my kind of millennial. <laughs> I like this kid. Uh, anyway, uh, so now I know who, but Tyler Blevins, 14.7 million followers on Instagram, Carlos. Okay, there's a world out there that I am really ignorant. I go on and on about Trump, Chicago politics, teacher strike. Like, these are important issues to me. And I realize that there's millions of millennials out there who are just like, they don't even know anything about it. What a realization. Yeah, anyway. you're old. <laughs> but at least I feel better. Carlos doesn't know who uh, Tyler Blevins is either. All right, tell you do know who Leon Finney is, which is interesting. You're probably the <laughs> <Segway> only way <laughs> master. Man, you've been you doing are the only guy. That's good. Uh, yeah, wow. Thank you. I've been in the radio game a long time, <laughs> three years. Uh, you're the only guy, I would say, who uh, graduated from high school in this decade who does not know who Tyler Blevins is, but does know who Leon Finney is. Uh, that's amazing. All right, so tell our listeners who Leon Finney is. Um, Leon Finney, he is a doctor, a reverend, a doctorate, sorry. Dr. Reverend Leon Finney Jr., 81-year-old uh, uh, pastor down on, in Woodlawn, son of uh, Leon Finney Sr. of Leon's Barbecue. Um, as you mentioned earlier, uh, trained as a community organizer under Saul Alinsky in the, in the 70s. Um, super, 60s. 60s and 70s, yeah. Super influential. Um, you know, I think he... he he was on the CHA board, the Chicago Housing Authority board. He was on the City Planning Commission. He had some role at Chicago State University. Uh, his church, the Metropolitan Apostolic Community Church on 41st and King Drive, incredibly historic building. Uh, he took it over in 2003 with his congregation. Um, and, uh, you know, as our reporting has laid out, unfortunately, uh, Dr. Finney has... Um, 
unfortunately, the jig is up in, in a lot of ways. It seems as that way. So uh, doc, uh, Dr. Finney um, made some powerful friends along the way throughout the decades. And through his nonprofits, ended up, uh, one, amassing an incredible collection, uh, a portfolio of real estate holdings in Woodlawn um, that we still really don't know how big, but in the hundreds of, you know, probably of properties. And also, um, his nonprofits managed to snag very sweet contracts with the Chicago Housing Authority to manage about a quarter of all of its units across the city. So we're talking 4,500 units across 100 and something buildings. Mm. Um, those contracts um, gave the Woodlawn Community Development Corporation, Finney's nonprofit, uh, 170 grand a, a month to manage those properties. Um, now, what happened and what our reporting has revealed is that in October of last year, so a year this month, um, Woodlawn Community Development Corporation filed for bankruptcy after the IRS uh, placed a lien on its bank accounts for owing millions in payroll taxes. Mm -hmm. Payroll taxes being what your employer withholds from your paycheck, mostly Social Security, Medicare, and stuff like that. Um, and uh, so Woodlawn was being charged by the IRS for, of withholding about $4 million worth of payroll taxes. So these taxes that were withheld from employee paychecks, not sent out to the IRS, but instead were placed God knows where. Mm. So uh, the nonprofit files bankruptcy. Um, of course, bankruptcy proceedings are super public and, you know, just open up all the books. And what ended up happening is um, Judge Carol Doyle, she's a judge at the Illinois Northern Bankruptcy Court, uh, decided to appoint a what's called a trustee to take over the nonprofit in March because in her words, uh, Dr. Finney and his affiliates were being accused of mismanagement, fraud, and self-dealing. Um, and she didn't trust that they would take care of the company and pay creditors, essentially. So once the appointment of the trustee happened in March, um, that's when things really got bad. And yeah. And so your article ran, or three articles, I want to say, uh, you and uh, Tom Shuba, it was a joint investigation. Uh, and uh, I remember it was a Sunday. It was a big spread in the Chicago Sun-Times. And this is big news to people like me because, as I was saying earlier, Carlos, uh, Leon Finney was a very important man uh, in the city of Chicago in the 80s and the 90s and into the O's. Uh, as you point out, he had strong political allies, Mayor Daley, mm -hmm. Mayor Rahm. He was like a go-to guy that these mayors uh, would turn to when they were ever in trouble uh, and issues that could be remotely uh, criticized along racial lines. He was their, like, chief, one of their chief... Uh, black allies uh, and he could show up at a press conference uh, he played a role similar to the one Juan Juan Rangel played for mm -hmm. Hispanic Chicago sure. so the, a, a loyal ally that could be trotted out for a press conference and um, and uh, so Leon Finney uh, and uh, in return was uh, you're right was, I think he was on the Chicago State Board he was named to various uh, organizations institutions uh, so it's sort of the toppling of a great figure uh, in, in Chicago lore when uh, now you were not the one who went to the church because it was a follow up story was it Shuba that lost that what, you flipped the coin or something and he lost so he had to go to, to no so so the, the big piece dropped Sunday and uh, we weren't he hearing back from the reverend and we wanted to give him a chance at least in person to talk to us so uh, and we also wanted to see if he would address what we had reported to his congregation because the church is facing foreclosure uh, which was also reported in that story mm -hmm. um so, uh, Tom, Tom Shuba, unfortunately he worked Sundays and I didn't. 
And so it fell on him to go on. Damn. <laughs> uh, too bad, huh? No, I'm too bad. Yeah. yeah. No, um, so, yeah. And then he was promptly kicked out. He was kicked out. What did they say? Leave? Just like when. You should bring Tom on the show. He'll I tell you exactly what they said. Definitely going to bring Tom Schubert, in addition, in addition to uh, co-writing these stories with Carlos, is, as I call it, the reefer writer at the Chicago man knows more about reefer D than anyone I know. Well, oh, yeah. maybe D- Dennis knows more about reefer. Yeah, uh, he's the reefer writer at the Sun Times. I'm the reefer smoker <laughs> at the Sun Times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Unbiased opinion: Tom is the best beat, beat weed writer in the city. All right, so well, we're gonna have to bring him stuff. on, and th- we'll give him a trivia test about reefer, huh? Oh, give him that <laughs> Cheech and Chong one we did earlier. That's <laughs> uh, yeah, correct. I'll ask him about uh, the Cheech and Chong stuff. Anyway, good stuff. Uh, have there been any new? Uh, well, I shouldn't ask you because you probably wouldn't reveal it anyway. You got new stories on this front coming out. Uh, yeah, uh, sometime early next week, another one. Our latest one came out last week, uh, maybe two weeks ago. I forgot, but it was about a public housing development on Seventy Second and Racine called uh, Anchor House. Um, and we found that, well, it, uh, as part of the bankruptcy proceedings, we found a report that showed that 90K, around $90,000 was diverted out of that public housing development into, uh, well, 50,000 went to the to Finney's church, the mm-hmm. Met. Uh, 4,000 went to him directly and another 25K went to um, his radio station, Urban Broadcast Media. Mm. Chicago man, that's Leon Finney. When I, like I said, when I got here in 1981, uh, he was a big deal in this town. I'm curious to hear where was the speech or, you know, it was a speech and uh, 1980. Where was it? I want to say, I mean, it's okay. You're talking about stuff. How many years ago was that? 1981. You weren't even born yet. Uh, and uh, young Dennis wasn't even born yet. Is this for 10 trivia points? Yes. Is he about to stump you? He, he is going to stump me because I want to say it was at Northeastern Illinois a University, the Southside branch, which is roughly, um, roughly, where is that? Like 39th and uh, King Drive around mm-hmm. there. I think that's where it was. But we're talking about stuff that happened a long time ago. And I think that was in my marijuana smoking days. <laughs> so I have an excuse. Right? Oh, boy. Uh, right. I don't even want to <laughs> imagine what you'd be like. Oh, man, come on. We're going to see Liam Finney, man. But uh, I was really impressed. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you, you know, he was telling these Alinsky stories. And I was really, I was younger than you are now, Carlos. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God. Oh, this is so cool. I'm in the city of Chicago, and this guy was trained by Saul Linsky. And you know, and I went afterwards, I went up, Mr. Finney, uh, my name is Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> oh, yeah, great kid, beat it, you know. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, it was, uh, <laughs> he was telling these stories about uh, the you know, fighting the University of Chicago. And then I watched the um, trajectory of his career, Carlos, and watched him just sort of join the establishment and, and the very institutions and entities that he was battling and organizing against. He just either they absorbed him or he, he absorbed them the, uh, and how he became a voice for establishment Chicago. Yeah. And that was kind of my uh, welcome to Chicago band moment. There were many of those. Uh, Anyway, ancient history indeed. Carlos, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. We're definitely going to get, I'm going to get Tom Shuba's number, uh, the weed writer. We're going to get him in here. Mr. Reefer, all <laughs> right? I'm talking about reefer in the city of Chicago. Always a favorite topic. Maybe he like, has some. 
okay, that's not, he's a, like a legitimate reporter. Nice. He's not going to give you a join, all right? Now, come on, D. <laughs> Carlos works here. He's like, man, I come in the back of the studio. These guys are animals. <laughs> <laughs> back by the bathroom. Uh, they're not, crazy. I, I know, things about the bathroom. You never know what's going to go down. Uh, anyway, uh, Sergio Mims, outstanding. Everybody, run, don't walk. Let's see Dolomite this weekend. Yeah, I know I'm going to see it. Don't see Joker, according no. to Sergio Mims. Don't see Joker. He gave two thumbs way down. Nice. Yeah. yeah. A.O. Scott in the Times also panned it. I remember reading about that. Have you seen the Joker yet? No. I, I think I'm going to wait. You're going to wait. Yeah. Are you going to see Dolomite? I, I didn't even know that was happening, but yeah. Was it at the Cisco or something? I don't know where it's going to open. That's the thing. Uh, it's it's going to be out for about a m- month, and then it goes to Netflix. So I want to see. He said it was worth seeing on the big screen. Anyway. And I'll, our Ben Jarofsky show question of the summer of 2019. Have you seen uh, oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Oh, I didn't see that either. I was also going to wait for that one. Too. Well, <laughs> you haven't <laughs> Ten push-ups right now. Uh, you still haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm waiting. All right. Well, for what? Christmas? Like, I, I don't know. The director cut is coming to Netflix, uh, but it would be like an hour longer than it is. Wait and, for the oh, bootleg. There you go. Uh, anyway, uh, sometimes a writer Robert Hergerth was here as well, explaining about the Ultimate Man's Cave, the uh, cigar store in the Southwest Great story. Side. Yeah, it is. Oh. I know. I love that story. I, as soon as I saw it, I called him up. Get on the show. Check out the FBI files in the Look Sun-Times. this morning. It's very surprising. Sopranos vibes when I read that. Wow, that's good. He was singing from the Sopranos. <laughs> that awesome. That is very Got good. yourself a cigar. Uh, he, he does not know who Tyler <laughs> Blevins is, but he could sing the uh, the song for the Sopranos. So awesome. We'll bring you back with Tom Shuba. Thanks, uh, And we'll bring the bong as well. All right, anyway, great show. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, looking very dapper, looking... I don't know. It looks like a young John Travolta over there. The pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. I'm bald. Uh, Dr. D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash and buy yourself a new tie. See you tomorrow, everybody. Just bought this one. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download podcasts. Hey, downloaders. You know, we live stream this show, right? It's true. We do. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Once again, at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. And we now live stream on Facebook at Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on both Facebook and Twitter. Give us a like, follow, share, review, whatever you want to do. We'll see you tomorrow.